and welcome back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're returning to the show, I'm absolutely thrilled. Hey, drop me a line at thingsaregoinggreatforme at gmail.com. Let me know how you're doing. And if you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable because we want you all to enjoy yourselves. You can follow me, your host, at jclauddeering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handle on Instagram at things are going great for me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our Patreon and some cool things are going great for me swag. Hey, the holidays are upon us. Why not treat yourself and a family member to some dignified swag? We've got hoodies, t-shirts, and tote bags, so check them out and listen in comfort and style. You can find all our products in our link tree on our show Instagram page at things are going great for me. On our link tree, you'll also find our Patreon, which features additional interview coverage from our Season 1, Season 2, and Season 3 guests, including our bonus Quarpod series, in which I ask guests about how they adjusted to life in quarantine and how the pandemic is continuing to change life in the entertainment industry. Our Patreon is a vital part of making this show happen, so if you'd like to support us, give us a subscribe on there. You can check us out on Patreon directly at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And by the way, we're delighted to welcome back our sponsor for this series, Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be exceptional. Icelandic Glacial natural spring water sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon and at local retailers near you. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a nice comment. Tell your aunt about us. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, famous podcast hosts, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming actors and comedians, and established producers, authors, writers, and directors. Today's first guest is Leonard Robinson. Leonard is best known for his role as Torian Jackson on HBO's Emmy, Peabody, and NAACP Image Award-winning series, Insecure. He's also known for his four seasons as a performer on the hugely popular comedy series, While and Out. After graduating from Howard University, Leonard appeared in films and television projects such as Life of Crime with Jennifer Aniston and John Hawks, the ESPN miniseries The Bronx is Burning, NCIS and NCIS LA, Adam Ruins Everything, and Young Sheldon, and he currently co-stars in the very funny Netflix series, Blockbuster. His theater resume includes work at the Culture Project Off-Broadway, the Williamstown Theater Festival, the New York Fringe Festival, and the Studio Theater in Washington, D.C. As a stand-up comedian, Leonard can be seen weekly at the world-famous comedy store on Sunset Boulevard, and you can find him currently in the main company at the world-renowned comedy institution, The Groundlings. Leonard is a longtime friend, and this is a great chat with lots of nutritional takeaways. My producer Winston also wants me to include he's a big fan of Leonard's from his work on Insecure. I'll be speaking with Leonard in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my interview with Ji Young Han. Ji is an actress originally from Walnut, California. After programs at AMDA and the New School in New York City, she started working in TV and film on shows like 30 Rock, The Good Wife, Shameless, Grey's Anatomy, 911, in addition to recurring roles on The Santa Clarita Diet, Comedy Bang Bang, Station 19, Superstore, and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Next up, she can be seen in a big recurring role on the upcoming second season of HBO's Perry Mason, in addition to another recurring role on the upcoming Hulu comedy series, Unprisoned, alongside Kerry Washington and Delroy Lindo. It's a delightful chat. Stick around for G's interview. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it. Dum, 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 dum. 
before we move on to our interviews, I'm thrilled to welcome back my producer and my co-host, Winston Carter. How's it going? Uh, So you've been on tour with your monster band, Drac and the Swamp Rats. How'd it go? It was good, man. We played a couple shows in Oklahoma and a show. We played in Austin on Halloween night. I went to a quick trip. I did not see any cutouts of you. I was very upset. Um, So South by Southwest happens in Austin. Have you ever been? I would love to go. I've it's never great. been. Uh, it's like, I mean, it's really like Austin is always a town where there's like a live band basically playing at every bar all the time. But it's doubly yeah. true then. We're like for like a week, every bar downtown has a live band from essentially noon till midnight. And yeah. it's just constant. So they, I didn't know that they had smaller versions of that. So they have like specific music types of festivals all throughout the year. That'll be like a couple different venues all doing like a fest, like, cause it's not like a big, st- I mean, there are big, some places that have bigger stages for South by, but mostly it's like, it's like a million different bars all having shows all at the same time. Mm. Um, so they had just finished with one. So like the crowd turnout was a little rough for us, uh, unfortunately, but the people who came were real into it. Uh, it was still a good turnout. Nice. It just wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like dangerously chocked full. Um, but it was fun. Have you watched any holiday movies yet? Not yet. I'm fully embracing it. I've had this conversation with multiple people who are so upset about, oh, holiday. And they're like, wait till Thanksgiving. I was like, no, dude. The se- November 1st. November 1st. I'm moving. on the same. Let's get moving. I'm on the same train. Give me yeah. two full months. Why would you yeah. want less of it? Listen, it's I'll the watch the good. the only time everyone's happy. I'm not skipping Thanksgiving movies. I'm not skipping yeah. Planes, Trains, like and Automobiles. There's like three of them, though. There, there's, there's three, three good ones. Autos, what? Hutch? Ho- ho- home Dutch, for the Holidays? Dutch, which home is the one the with Robert Downey Jr.? Is it is that Home for the Holidays? I don't know. Is Fletch is Fletch a is Fletch a Thanksgiving or is it Dutch? I'm thinking of Dutch. I think there's a movie where I think Ed O'Neill oh, has Dutch, to like take right. a kid home. For, I think that's I a Thanksgiving that movie. movie. Is it? I got to rewatch that. Have Thanksgiving's a perfectly fine. Have you holiday. seen the new Fletch movie? With is it John Hamm? I John have Hamm. not. I haven't. I have either. not. I'm going to see it, though. We should see it. Okay, we'll promise to see it. We promise John Hamm. We promise. We promise you, Before he comes on the show, we will have seen it. Before John Hamm comes on, we'll see it. All right, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Without further ado, here now is the kind and thoughtful, hardworking, funny and talented Leonard Robinson. I had just, uh, it was funny because I had just finished interviewing uh, Mike Terry when you and I uh, jumped on the phone. We caught up mm-hmm. briefly before our interview today. And Mike Terry is now the executive producer of the Smartless podcast with Sean Hayes and Jason Bateman and Will Arnett. Uh, and you, me, and Mike, we were all apprentices together at the Williamstown Theater Festival back in 2002. Mm-hmm. Along with uh, Chris Pine, who's also been a guest on this podcast. Um Jeremy Strong from Succession was also there. and He was an Act One at that time. Yeah, I did a play. I was actually able to do a play with the Act One while I was in uh, the Apprentice Corps. They needed some um, additional casting. And I was lucky enough to join that cast and did that. I briefly, rem- I vaguely remember that. Was that something Amanda Charlton directed, maybe? It was. It was called Our Country's Good. It was like an Australian, set in like an Australian prison camp or something like that. So... So, you know, when you're at a theater festival and there's only two other black guys to go to, uh, that's when that casting gets real 
comes your way. Advantageous. Yeah, it was very much a white space that summer. I was going back and taking a look at the program and uh, the other day, and uh, was it's it's pretty stunning. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of. <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> over the last couple of years, I've noticed um, Williamstown particularly has you know made a lot of efforts in you know not only promoting uh, people of color, but also making big efforts to actually, you know, schedule the programming. So it's not so much that, um, yeah, you know, but I grew up in, for the most part, in in, in Danbury, Connecticut, and moved around. So, I've, you know, I've always kind of operated kind of in those spaces. It's It doesn't make it any easier, but, right, it's, right. It, you know, the, it becomes something you just kind of, you, you know, you deal with and you just kind of expect and then try, how you navigate it is, is a very individual kind of thing but yeah uh but yeah i was you know out there williamstown i didn't know much about it i met a friend um i met a friend doing a play in new york and uh and he, he was like i went to williamstown theater festival i think you should go and i was like i don't even know what this is and but he was like i think it'd be great for you to be an apprentice you know and, and i just took his word for it um and that's how i ended up there and yeah there was there was so many people that came out of there and, you know, names still keep coming up, which is fun. Of people, yeah. you're just like, oh, you did Williamson? Okay, cool. Like, you know, Liz Merriweather, you know, Creative New Girl was an apprentice that year. And, That's um, right. Yeah. Constantine Morolis, who was, uh, you know, American was on American Idol. Idol. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yep, big Broadway musical star, Rock of Ages, there that summer. Um, That's know, right. Obviously myself, Will Greenberg, uh, was also having a, a great moment right now. And, and finding yeah. a lot of work, um, and of course, yeah, Chris Pine was the biggest biggest star probably to come out of there to date. Chris Pine definitely one of the is going to end up being one of the biggest movie stars of all time. You know, um, mm-hmm. and it is, and it, it's exciting to know one person who got got that far. You know, is that something you want to do? Do you want to get to that level? Is that part of your plan? What do you think in terms of scope? I was thinking about this last night um, about, you know, what to say relevant about Williamstown, but just with relation to like Chris Pine, I think one thing that I learned from that guy or picked up from him is like he, that's somebody who early on knew what he wanted to do and set out a path to do that. Cause I remember when I moved to LA and, uh, and I was talking to him, mm-hmm. this might've been shortly after he did uh, princess diaries two or something like that. He was just kind of like arrived on something. But I remember he said something like, I want to focus on films. I just want to be, you know, just focus mm. on doing movies. And I was like, well, how the hell do you do that? You know, like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you just decide you're only going to do films? Yeah. You know, cause at the time in, it's and it's probably how I've carried my career up to this point. I've just been kind of doing as much work as I can do to figure out what I want to do, uh, to figure out what I'm good at, to figure out where I actually belong or where my slot is. And so I've kind of always just been open to whatever. Mm, yeah. Still, still with still with an eye and 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 holding myself to a standard of quality and and. Um, and, you know, try to aspire to do better things and, and get in with better people and do better work and, you know, lift heavier weight, so to speak, to try and get stronger. Yeah. Um, but I never was ever so discerning as to say, I, I want to do films. I want to I, I, I think probably if somebody said, look, you got one choice right now, I probably would lock into television. I love television. 
Um, yeah. I, I've always loved television, you know, uh, as a kid, you know, I, I loved watching TV. I mean, I, can, I, I remember clearly one day my mom was like, do you want to just go out and you only want to go out and, you know, meet up with some friends, go out and do something? I was like, nope, I'm good. I'm just, <laughs> just watching TV all day. But I wouldn't just watch what other kids would watch necessarily. I would watch almost really kind of everything. Yeah. Um, I was just fascinated by it. And, my, you know, my earliest memory is wanting to be an actor and wanting to be on television. I saw this this kid, I think his name is John John on Sesame Street, little black kid on, on, on Sesame Street, was talking to a Muppet. And I was like, I want to do that. Hmm. And, yeah. you know, my mom was like, you want to meet a Muppet? I was like, no, I want to be on that show. Like somehow I just knew that they weren't just playing with Muppets. I kind of, somehow I kind of got the concept that, uh, know, this is people, the, like, this is show business. Yeah. I kind of got a concept of what show yeah. business was and, and, um, and wanted to do that. And, and also another big influence that I just now realizing was my aunt, um, uh, when I was growing up was in film school, it was in Columbia film school. And, uh, Hmm. It was a director. She does mostly like documentary kind of stuff right now. But, um, you know, I remember as a kid, we watched um, a Coen Brothers movie, um, Blood Simple. You got and how old were you when she showed you Blood Simple? How old were you? Oh, man, I was probably like eight or ten or something like that. I don't know. Jesus it, was, Christ. It, was, it was too young to be watching that movie. <laughs> but but I watched that and then she introduced me to the Coen Brothers. And then I can remember, yeah. you know, you know, cut to whenever Barton Fink came on and Barton Fink was on TV and I watched Barton Fink yeah. and I didn't get it, but no. I knew that I was, I knew that I was like watching something that was, um, not average. That was, you know, that had some artistic integrity to it. That was kind of like away from the mainstream. And I was interested in that. And I was interested in just like doing good work and like doing quality stuff. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how I, you know, have moved through life. It's just always watching a bunch of stuff and been like, yeah, I want to do this, I want to do that. And there's just there's just something about television, about connecting with the audience on a weekly basis, about, hmm. you know, knowing that because that's how people watch television. They lock into their thing, they lock into their event, and 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 they're there for you every week. You know, movies uh, are great and their big event kind of things, I don't think I get enough adrenaline on the return of that. You know, like work 30 days, maybe wait two years for it to come out and then let's see what happens. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Um, I kind of like knowing quick, quickly. It's gonna, well, it's not the it's 70s. Be you're not, it's not an experience in the way that like you're doing a Dennis Hopper movie. It's just briefcases of cocaine everywhere and mushrooms, you know, LSD. And you're, what, that yeah. was fucking crazy. And yeah. then the movie still comes out. Or sometimes it didn't, I guess. I think Dennis, there are a few Dennis Hopper movies that never came out. But they spent millions of dollars doing yeah. drugs. But that's, talk about adrenaline. Mm-hmm. But those days are seventies are very much over, I guess. Right? It's corporate yeah. now. It's and very maybe corporate. Be, and maybe it's because uh, I came up doing live theater. Like the closest thing I think to live yeah. theater is probably the next transition is probably like television. You know, you could do it in front of a live studio audience. You've got that option. Yeah, that's but even right. if it's not that option, even on like on a weekly series, like there's something about that that's kind of similar. Like you know, I, I shot it last week. It came out. We know these things are rolling, and then you know. Um, you can get that feedback. There's something about that feedback from the audience that I've 
that I crave and and seek after. Yeah. Uh, which is why I still do, you know, stuff live to this day, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, getting that feedback is a, is a wonderful feeling in theater and comedy as well. Um, well, great. I'm going to go back to Williamstown then for a second just mm-hmm. to finish this and just say there were, as we talked about already, a lot of people have gone on to do some cool things. You are no exception. You're doing a lot of cool things, emphasis on a lot. And I want to start by talking about the comedy store mm-hmm. where you are a paid regular with your name on the famous comedy store wall. That mm-hmm. right there alone is a huge accomplishment. And uh, I want to ask you, did you did you start by doing the potluck over there? Were you lining up in the afternoons and, and putting your name in the hat to get on? Well, um, if, let me rewind the clock just a little bit and tie it back into Williamstown. When I was at Williamstown, you know, when I first started, I, I was I kind of modeled my career off of um, well, first of all, I didn't know anybody when I started. I didn't know anything. I didn't I didn't go to undergrad for drama, uh, for theater. I was a business major and I wanted right. to act. And I took some classes in the School of Fine Arts at Howard, you know, the ones that they would let me take being a non-major. I took some studio. I did a lot of studio classes at Studio Theater in D.C. I took a look at the Studio Theater in D.C. It's a... It's an interesting, uh, very serious organization, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And so you had seen that, you had seen this uh, theater company on posters when you were at school? Yes, that's exactly right. I, I would, so I was a business major, you know, I was very active at Howard. Like I was a frat guy. I was in, you know, I was on the wrestling team for a little bit, but I was in a bunch of different organizations. But I was having the, the best time of my life at Howard, just kind of. Yeah. Going through school, partying, meeting people, taking a bunch of classes. You know, I, I tried to stay five years, but funding ran out. So I was like, all right, I got to graduate. <laughs> you know, I took a job. And I, and it was even when I graduated, like I, I had my eyes like I want to be an actor. And I had a plan. I was like, I'll work for four years and I'll save money. And then I'll, whatever happens, if I can't get some acting work in D.C., at the end of four years, if I save my money, I'm just going to quit my job and move to New York and start for real. Um, I only made it like two and a half years. I just could not take uh, working um, uh, in, in in the corporate setting, and I was like, I I, I need to mm-hmm. bet on myself and really try to make it work. And then I ran off to New York, and that's how I got started. But while I was at Howard, again, I would take a few classes, and I would, you know, I met up with some fine arts people who would talk to me from time to time, you know, tell me what's going on. But I would go into there, I would go into the School of Fine Arts and look at the posters, look at the boards, and you know, people would, uh, you know, there's always an advertisement for like some summer program or or summer stock or you know whatever local auditions and i would try to go to those things i would like crash those things again Mm. me me not knowing anything about the process i was like i just have to try you know and i would try to um you know audition for things locally so you were so can i ask then so in terms of your folks you were sort of you were doing a little bait and switch with mom and dad is that right? You're basically going like, I'm going to go to, I'm going to Howard. I'm going to get my business degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when they, when they, you out of sight, they, you're doing, you're doing something different. You're trying to sort of, you're taking as many acting classes as you can. Are you telling them at all that you're doing this? Or when, when do you drop it on them that you're like, I'm changing what I'm going to do. I, I, uh, I, I've, I want to be an actor. I'm going to bet on myself. That's funny. Nobody's ever said that like that. Um, but yeah, in short, I was actually trying to fully transfer into the School of Fine Arts, um, but I didn't take it that far because uh, there's still part of me didn't didn't believe I could do it. 
Um, so yeah, they didn't know that I was. They didn't know that I was really serious about doing it until I quit my job and, now, and told them I'm moving to New York. Now, meanwhile, you are excelling at everything. You're a, you're, a, you're a brilliant uh, student. You're a brilliant athlete, right? Um, you know, I was, uh, well, let's say this. Uh, when I got to college, I realized the biggest obstacle I have academically was um, just just me focusing and deciding I wanted to do it. Because if there was a party or a social event, I was like, I need to do that. Um, but if yeah. I buckled yeah. down, yeah, I was, I was right. you know, I was great. Yeah, but yes, okay. I have an aptitude. You know, to, to your point, like I had an aptitude for a lot of different things. You know, I was a yeah, I was a, pr- a programmer in a in a like a tech support guy. You know, uh, in in short. So, anyways, uh, I end up going to New York, <clears throat> taking classes, trying to audition for things. I meet some people. They send me to Williamstown. While I was at Williamstown. Lewis Black, comedian Lewis Black from The Daily that's Show. Right. Yeah, that's right. National headliner for years, was doing a stand-up comedy workshop. And I saw the first round of people go up. And his workshop, at the it ended with them doing um, a show mm-hmm. in front of hundreds of people. Whoever was at the theater that summer in Williamstown, they all came. Because you're in... The Berkshires, there's nothing to do but that festival. So every event basically is sold out because the alternative is you're doing nothing. <laughs> right. That's right. right. Yeah. So student shows, if somebody put together a three-person oh, thing. there were some in, great stu- – hey, do you remember, by the way, do you remember this student show that was in the laundry room? Do you remember this thing? Um, tell me about it, but I probably – I'm sure I was there. This is incredible. Uh, we sat out on the common area in the grass, yes, and yes. they had, you know, uh, at, at the you, we were surrounded by the dorms of Williams College, and at the bottom level, about. yes, there was a laundry room, and there was one that you could see right into the windows yes. into this laundry room, and some brilliant students had an idea to do a play in this laundry room. It was filmic, very filmic, yes. right? No dialogue or anything. It was just everything was what was happening in this room. And they they told a whole story, and part of it was that they basically exploded one of these laundry machines. Do you remember this? They poured in at some point. It was very much like a, a like a, a silent film comedy, like a Buster mm-hmm. Keaton kind of a thing. And at one point, somebody is just pouring and pouring and pouring detergent into one of the machines, and sure enough, then it just started to bubble over uh, out of control. Do you remember seeing that? I remember seeing that there was another little thing like outside in the common area. There was a there was a guy Alex. I think his name's Alex Poe. Did yeah, a Lord sure. of the Flies like outside. Oh yeah, which he's was, out here. You know, he's a, he's over he? in Santa Monica, Alex. Yeah, I thought he was the most brilliant director that that summer. Like directed a play like outside on a on a high stairwell and kind of staged Lord of the Flies like that. It was just amazing. Right. Um, Right. There were so many different crazy things that were happening that that summer that that were I just you know, I just wanted to be part of all of it, and so the so the group that did stand up the first time I saw it I was blown away because I don't remember who was in the group but I just remember like I was like wait a minute I've talked to like most of these people so like the the Apprentice Corps had maybe like a hundred people or something in it maybe yeah maybe eighty or something right but so not everybody knows everybody but you you kind of know everybody. Um, but I was like, the people that did, I was like, I've talked to these people. Like if there were 12 in, I was like, 10 of them I know are not funny because I've talked to them. Uh, uh, 
I was like, but yeah, okay, everyone yeah. who did that showcase was funny. I was like, how did he do that? Uh, I was like, yeah. how did he get these right. people to do stand-up and be funny? I was like, I laughed at every one of them. <laughs> and that's when I was like, I got to figure this out. I got to try this. <laughs> and then I tried funny. it. Yeah. And, 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 and the way Lewis did the workshop was also amazing because it was kind of like an open mic. And he would just, he would just, I mean, almost like no notes. He would just be like, not funny. I don't, that ain't never going to be funny. I don't know why you think that'd be funny. Go back, yeah. rewrite it. Try this, try that. And then he gave us some stand-ups to watch and, and told us why, you know, kind of just told us why they're funny or what their point of view is all about. And he gave me, he gave me my foundation to, to do stand-up. And so, yeah. so that was great. And I loved it. And then that summer ended and I came back to New York and I didn't do stand-up that year. I didn't do it ever again uh, that year. Um, I was focused on taking classes, making money, so that I could come back to Williamstown because I mm. wanted to go try to do Act One. I, I bet I bet it all on that. Well, see, now that was a thing for everybody. When we were there as apprentices, you were it was understood it was an understood thing. They would say nobody gets back in. It's very hard to get back in here. And so, and I remember, you know, it. I did go back. It took me three auditions, three years, to get to back go back in. to Act One or non Act. To go back to what they eventually, they sort of got rid of what it was called. It's all the non-act, but essentially, yes. And Mm. then the next year I did get into the the non-act, but I didn't go because I had booked something in L.A., a pilot, a a Shonda Rhimes pilot that then uh, didn't go. So that's amazing. I mean, the 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 way these things turn out. So like that that summer, the person, you know, Chris Pine did go back that next summer, I believe. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, I did not. and somebody else did, but I was like, I literally bet it all on that summer. I had spent the whole year at this acting conservatory. Um, it was called the Actor Center. That was yeah, kind of that was kind of run by a lot of like NYU and Yale and professors. Yale that was yeah, that was like their side, like their moonlight gig. So that's interesting because I, you know the other thing about that is that place was known because it's like if you were interested in going to grad school, go to the Actors Center because it's it's a lot of the grad school teachers from both NYU and Yale. Is that mm-hmm. where you were thinking at the time? You were thinking go back to Williamstown, get your grad school sort of pre, like pre med for grad school in acting, and then apply to Yale. I was working all angles at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I first moved to New York, the first thing I did was audition for NYU and Yale. Again, having no experience, I was like, I hear they're great. Let me see if they'll <laughs> let me in. But, I mean, so it speaks a little bit to my ignorance and my fearlessness in that. I was like thinking awesome. that my first shot, I could get into Yale, the the, the Yale School of Drama MFA program. <laughs> yeah. But, but it takes so, so the, much courage just to do it. It takes so much courage to, 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 to just show up and put yourself in a vulnerable position of them saying no. It takes an additional amount of courage to try again, you know? Um, so it, spe- it does. It speaks volumes. I didn't know that you did that. I, I just for both of those places at least at least twice and I'm maybe three. I don't know. Yeah. But the... So, yeah, I was at the Actors Center in there. They have, like, a full-time conservatory and then they have, like, a... They had they had a full time conservatory which was all day, and then they had like a, a part time which was in the evenings. So at the time I could only for the evening, um, so I did that. I worked all day, temped all day, and then just went there at night. Yeah. Again, I'm betting it all on going to Williamstown. Then somebody told me about another theater festival, 
and and I, so maybe I auditioned for two other things like just in case, but I knew it wasn't there wasn't no just in case. I was like every I'm going back to Williamstown. Right. Did did not go. Now my summer's blown. I was like, what am I gonna do? I fell back into stand up. I was like, I gotta keep performing some kind of way, but I'm not acting. I was like, I gotta find some way to perform because I basically have written off this whole year just trying to save money and go to school. Yeah. And then I fell back into stand up, and I and I actually linked up with some other guys who um, who were from uh, Williamstown, who were who, unbeknownst to me, had been doing stand up for a little bit. And I wrote a bunch of material, and um, you know, we would link up and like go to like these these late night spots, and just wrote a bunch of material. And uh, and, and in New York, you can do five spots in a night if you're if you're hungry. Right. And that's kind of how I started. So I went from doing nothing to all of a sudden five spots a night for like six months straight. And then um, shortly after that, I moved to L.A. But how I got into the comedy store was like, yeah, I, I did sign up and, and would always, you know, just be there. Hang- they have like potluck where it's just like people who are it's kind of like their open mic. And then there's and then you can get if you ha- if you do a spot and you do well enough, you can get folded into what they call like friends and family, which it's just kind of like a slightly step above signing up for the open mic where they'll actually book you and then keep hmm. an eye on you for a while. But that took, I mean, that took like three years maybe. Wow. Um, just showing up every night and waiting and waiting and waiting and doing, I don't know how many shows in front of four people at night in the OR, like after everybody is gone and, you know, always being like second to last one, like just sticking it out and trying to, you know, make an impression on people. And in, and in between, you know, I've been passed at other places. I've done stand, you know, I've featured yeah. for, you know, people and on whatever. So it, it's a hard thing. Um, and even still, even to this day, it's still, I've been a regular there now oh, about 10 years, I think. But even now it's like, you know, it never ends. It never ends. There's always, you always have to rise uh, above the fray, whoever's out there. And you always, always have to keep working on stuff. You can't ever get to a place where I think you rest on your laurels and think this is yeah. good enough. I think eternally you want to be able to look at yourself and feel like I'm enough, I'm good enough, but I'm always going to seek improvement and yeah. not look at yourself as like a deficit. But the, just the way that stand-up world is, like you know, you you just kind of got to always got to keep making up material, always got to kind of keep working on stuff, and that's overall just how I've kind of shaped my vision in my career with things is just always keep working on something. Don't mm-hmm. be waiting for something to happen. Just always be working on something because, um, I don't know, my, my short my short philosophy is like either you're good enough for whatever job, whatever project is, but for some reason you're just not right for it or they don't want you for it for whatever reason. So then you got to wait for the job to come around that is yours. And then mm-hmm. the intern, you might as well just be working on yourself and getting better. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or or you're not good enough. Which leads you to only one decision, either or two decisions, which is either all right, you just quit and don't do this anymore, or you try to get better so that you are good enough. <laughs> so either yeah. way, for yeah. me, either way, there's no so there's no there's no there's no outcome where it doesn't end it result in me waking up every day figuring out how am I gonna get better. Yeah. So then is that so then does that mean I mean what let's say you wanted to do a set of the comedy store tonight. Yeah. Could you do that? No, no shit. So even though no. you're at the, you're on the wall now, you're a paid regular. You said, mm-hmm. and so you can't just call the club. 
No, we do. We call in on the week, and then the booker, you know, lines up the week. But yeah, I think I think at best, if I called and and said, "Hey, I got something pending, a showcase, or I need to submit a tape for like late night," can you mm. squeeze me in? Find a way to squeeze me in for five minutes, just so I could run this. I could probably get that kind of set. But yeah, comedy, you know, regular OR sets are original room and the main room sets are fifteen minutes. They wouldn't just call me in oh they wouldn't just squeeze me in right now i i i don't have a uh, a big enough or strong enough name as a stand-up to command that kind of you know uh, last minute adjustment to the schedule are you at when it comes to releasing an ep of your stand-up is that something that's in the works have you put something out yet or what what is what's your thought on that currently currently um no um Currently, that's that's like the second or third priority right now, what I'm doing right now. When I yeah. first started early on, that was a big goal of mine, and I was working towards that. And I, and you know, even, you know, had gone so far as to like record a bunch of stuff, but did not put it out. Um, that That's also something I'm working on just within myself is just not being so precious with the material, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and just letting it go out to the, you know, to the universe and move on. I, I, I become a bit of a perfectionist and, and really protective of my material um, to some degree, almost too protective of it so that I don't want it, you know. But art, you know, art needs to be experienced. Art needs to be seen. That's um, right. I've kind of adapted a, uh, adopted a, a, a philosophy like, well, yeah, it is to be seen and you're going to see it live and that's the only you know place you're going to see it. But truth of the matter is, you know, with 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 the way stand-up is now like you know you have to record it and has to be out there into the universe some kind of way so uh within the next year or two yeah probably great probably. that's exciting so i remember so now i i i i guess you'd been out in la for a couple mm-hmm. of years before i arrived here mm-hmm. and you had booked you'd booked the very popular mtv sketch and improv series while and out along mm-hmm. with uh, folks like randall park was on the show mm-hmm. Mikey Day, Cat mm-hmm. Williams, Taram mm-hmm. Killam. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have done that show since, including, I guess, Kevin Hart, Natasha Rothwell, Pete Davidson. How long has this, yep. how long has Wild and Out been going for? Is it still going now? It's still going and, it, and it's bigger than ever. Um, I mean, they're selling out arenas right now live, um, selling out arenas all over the place. Uh, I was part of the first four seasons. Yeah. And then there was a pause for a couple of years and then there was a reboot and that reboot has been going on consistently since. I didn't know that. Uh, okay. Can you talk a little bit about that job? Because that just seems like the absolute scariest television job. You're improvising jokes and yeah. rap battles for yeah. a live audience plus a television audience. Yeah. Did, you, did you ever throw up before one of those shows? Like I would, <laughs> I would never have come out of the bathroom. They would have had to get the the jaws of life to pull me out of there. Yeah, no, I mean, luckily for me, it was still early enough in my development as a human, you know, as a performer and and in my career that I'm still a little bit ignorant of a lot of stuff, of the repercussions of things or how things look. So I was a little bit more fearless, I I would say. Um, However, uh, funny anecdotally, um, when I first started auditioning in New York, no matter what I did, <laughs> no matter what I did, every audition, I would have like explosive diarrhea. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. It, 
and it, ha- it I mean, happens. It happens a lot when, to folks. Yeah. When I say every time, I mean every time. It got to a point where I said, "Okay, you're gonna have an audition tomorrow. Do not eat. Don't eat." I thought I beat it, and then right before, right before, oh, like God. the person, the person before me would be like, "Go in and like, okay," and then you're next. I'd be like, "Okay, ready." You just got a hot I'm ass. Running a monologue, and I'm like, "Oh, damn it! Here it comes again." <laughs> so by the time I got to LA, most of that was out of me. Um, <laughs> okay. But the thing about that show, the thing about Wild and Out is, um, you know, I had been taking improv classes, you know, at UCB and I.O. West. And right, right. Um, this is this is before maybe I just started taking a couple classes at the ground. Um, so I actually felt pretty good about my improv and all that other stuff. Um, yeah. Just figuring out just figuring out a place, a place in that show was a little difficult because it's kind of like it was kind of like. SNL in a sense where, you know, they had a core, ca- uh, you know, cast, but not everybody performed every week. Um, somehow, somehow I made it through the first four seasons and did every episode, which is, which is me and Mikey Day, I think are the, uh, are the rare two that actually have that credit for yeah. whatever reason. Um, but it was just about finding your own place in that and, and standing out and trying to be unique um, is where I really figured that out a lot. Like, you know, you can't be somebody else. You can't, mm. you got to be you, whatever that is. And, it, and, and, and I find that the people who have, you know, if you think about all the personalities and, and talent out there who have really excelled like relatively fast, it's because they, they know who they are really quick and early and that's it. That's it. They're not trying to make, you know, become something else and they're not trying to run away from it. They're just leaning hard into themselves um, and doubling down and tripling down and, you know, and they're mm. just standing on that. Um, so that's that hard also to do, helps. you know, when you're doing improv, particularly with folks, I mean, I, sometimes improv is not a thing that I would say I'm very good at. I've tried, I, I get a kind of in, in intellectual vertigo mm-hmm. from doing it with people because, you know, there's like, it's something, it's just, sort of just what you said, which is like, if you lean into you, you've got your own rhythm you've got things that are funny to you. And for me, when you do that on your feet with a bunch of people and you're trying to get on the same, it's the getting on the same page thing that's for me is hard to do. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I do like what you're saying though. It sounds great, you know, and maybe it just is about a bunch of very talented people who are leaning into what it is that they do. Yeah. I mean, look, the earlier days of Wild and Out, I felt were really competitive. I don't know what it's like now, um, but I do feel like it, there was a little bit of competitiveness amongst the cast members, which I don't think was great for, definitely not great for my anxiety and peace of mind. How does Cat Williams figure into this at the time? Because, I mean, talk about a huge personality. I mean, um, I didn't, I had not remembered that until I was sort of reading up on the show that he was he was on there. Um, was he was he cool to hang out with at the time? He's fantastic. He's a I mean, wonder. He's, I mean, it's a huge talent. Huge talent. For me, for me, there were some people on that show who you know that uh, were you know really great influences on me. Um, and Cat Williams is one of them. You know, D. Ray Davis, another one. Corey yes. Holcomb, another one. Right. You know, Randall Park, and I. You know, became you know 
best the best of friends out of that show, and we're, and we're still best of friends to this day. Yeah, you know, you know, we work out like three times a week together. And yeah, uh, yeah, you were saying that. Yeah, um, you know, um, and we've been, you know, Marcus Marcus Ray, another guy who came on uh, later season. You know, great friend. You know, um, and and Cat, you know, again was the was was a star before he got on the show. Yeah, and, it must have been. And just the timing of of how his projects rolled out on um, when they were rolling out, they kind of started rolling out in the middle of the show. So it kind of looks like Wild and Out like blew him up a little bit, but in actuality, like some of the projects he had going on were pending at the time, and it was just kind of the perfect storm. Yeah. But Cat was Cat was great. He you know he he taught me a lot and was a great friend at the time. Uh, you know, I ended up doing like a college tour, a college stand-up tour, and um, I organized and and and, uh, and took some people out. You know, people like D. Ray Davis and Corey Holcomb were, you know, were, were kind enough to, to join me on that and taught me a lot about stand-up and, mm. you know, especially doing on the road. You know, I went out on the road, you know, took Randall with me too. And, um, yeah, it was, a good, it was a great time. I, I think, you know, just the nature of shooting that show live every day. And, look, there were some days where we didn't know what we were going to do that day um, because they didn't, they didn't have the guest booked. Like a, a guest maybe, maybe canceled or maybe they couldn't secure a talent for that day. And we'd just be on hold for a little bit. And then all of a sudden somebody would pull up. You know, Nick would just, like, go through his Rolodex and, like, Serena Williams was one of the people who was a, who was like a last minute guest who showed up, and we were just like, okay, it's Serena Williams. All right, oh so what are we gonna do? Yeah, like we're we gonna do this game, do this game, do that game. Okay, great, and um, and it was amazing. Um, Wayne Brady, Wayne Bra- I think Wayne Brady, I think was de- probably definitely book. Wayne Brady was probably the most amazing guest. Uh, oh, I'm sure we had. Yeah, I mean that was that probably could have been a two hour special with with Wayne Brady, but it was only <laughs> yeah. a half hour show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just so many people were great and and you know and and again cat you know again as a, as a powerful to stand up as he is you know he was he was really a a, a great improviser which hmm. is which is also funny to find um in in certain stand ups and things like that because a lot of stand ups don't you know they're not academic about about it and they're, they're not taking classes at anywhere but you know intuitively you know they I think a lot of the greats get it and understand um, what it is you need to do to be a great improviser, but also yeah. leaning into his strengths and knowing what he wants to do. Um, yeah, I was really kind of blown away on most days uh, when Cat was performing and when he was there. Uh, so and then, you know, you talked about this, like you were taking some classes over at UCB, uh, but then I remember this is years later. You wrote this, uh, you wrote a p- beautiful post about, you said you were had humbled yourself and you mm-hmm. were starting over at a new comedy school after mm-hmm. having already established yourself as a TV comedian and a uh, comedy store regular. And you wrote about, you had made it. You were in the main mm-hmm. company uh, over at the Groundlings. Mm-hmm. Another major accomplishment in Hollywood, a major accomplishment in comedy. Um, and I just want to ask you, do you mind saying how old were you when you went back to the Groundlings? And as you said, you were sort of starting from the, you know, the first class again there. Um, uh, I can't remember exactly when I came back. That's the weird thing. Um, 
but it had been so I started off doing UCB in uh, in New York I took some classes then when I came to LA um, before UCB came out um, I was at Iowa West and then and then UCB opened up mm-hmm. um, an LA spot and I was able to join a um, to get in over there and, and was on a Herald team for about a year and a half on that one uh, at UCB uh, for a little bit. Casey Wilson was also one of the, uh, and, and June Raphael were also uh, on that Herald team. Yeah. And then and then I got kicked off that Herald team uh, and they were like, well, we'll bring you back and uh, we'll, you know, on another team. And then I never heard back whoever the artistic director was at UCB, you know, um, pulled me from that team and we'll put you on something else. And I never heard back. And also, I didn't follow up. Maybe I didn't know how to follow up at the time, but I, I was pretty upset about that. Yeah. And I quit. I just quit improv, period. Um, I was like, I'm just going to focus on, on stand-up and whatever acting auditions I can get. So then there was about a seven-year gap, I think. So maybe I was like 37, I think, maybe, when I came back into the ground. When I first started at the Groundlings... I was just trying to take improv classes. Again, I had no aspirations of being a groundling. I didn't even know what that meant. Um, I just know I'd met some people who were groundlings who were really funny, and I knew that the classes I was taking there were really good, and I always felt like it was a rabbit's foot for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, every time I take a class, I seem to book a job some kind of hmm. way. Interesting. Which is also why it took me so long to get through the program, because some people go you know, class back to back to back to back and try to go through the levels as fast as they can. Whereas I was like, you know, I took basic improv. Oh, I booked some job, you know, three months later or six months later, I'll come back and take another class, you know, just as a time and availability, you know, avail. But yeah, I was done with improv and sketch because I, you know, again, I'd done Wild and Out. We had a spinoff sketch show that didn't do anything uh, called Short Circuits. And I, I... you know, after all these years of doing, you know, improv at UCB, and I was also on an independent team outside of uh, all those called Knife Fight, and we perform at like some bar above, no, some in theater space above a bar off of uh, off of like Hollywood and La Brea. You know, I was just doing all kinds of things, all these little all these little hole in the wall spots where people are doing stand up or improv. Like I've done it, I've been there, mm. and yeah. I. I had spent so many years doing, I was like, all right, I'm going to take, I'm done with it. I I retired. (laughs) What happened with me at the Groundlings is I came to go see a show. Um, A friend of mine was at the advanced writing lab level, which is the last class before you get invited to join Sunday Company, which is the last level um, where basically you just write and perform every week. And then from there, they, you know, vote you into main company or not. So I saw a friend, um, Marcus Ray, who was, uh, we did the CBS Diversity Showcase together. He was in there. So I went to go watch him and just support him. And I laughed so hard. (laughs) Full circle again. I knew Marcus was funny, but the other people in that writing lab, um, I had met a couple times, didn't really know. But I was like, I cannot believe the show was so funny. Hmm. Like the way they were making me laugh was not how I understood how comedy was supposed to be, right? I didn't see any hard jokes. Like, there were some just wild, you know, premises. 
They were getting getting big laughs off of just, you know, being vulnerable and having emotional yeah. shifts and just playing these things. And I was like, how is this possible? <laughs> and the director was Karen Mariyama, um, you know, it was an institution, you know, on her own. Hmm. And I remember after that show, I was just like, damn it. I just remember feeling this thing inside me like, you're not done. I was like, oh, son of a bitch. All right. <laughs> so I called him up, you know, shortly afterwards. I was like, you know, if I if I do this right, maybe I can catch up and and, and be with Marcus, uh, you know, if he goes into Sunday coming. Maybe I can catch up and we can, you know, perform together there. What I didn't know about the Groundlings is that there's no catching up. Like, there's the <laughs> there's so many people in the pipeline. Right. Like, there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of a wait. So that took me, like, seven years or something like that when I came back to to finally get into Maine. And I was trying to go as fast as I could, but just the weight alone. But yeah, the humility and the home, again, I'd done multiple shows. I'd, you know, I was, I guess you could consider I was an act, working actor at the time. Like, you know, yeah, it just, you know, a journeyman working out, you know, you just, you just get work and you're just like, okay, I finally, I finally moved to that, that space in my career where I was like, I know I just make a living as an actor. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to book a job some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so by the time I got into Sunday Company, which is about an 18-month commitment, I had I had already booked Insecure. And so I was balancing that in between. That's right. Actually, I take that back. I did. I booked that right before. And I was uh, in an advanced writing lab. And uh, I almost couldn't finish that, which would have meant that I would have been out of the program again. But uh, I was able to work that out, and um, and yeah, I, I basically shot all of Insecure for the most part uh, while I was in Sunday Company for that 18 months while I was doing that. And then, of course, the last season um, was last year, but I was yeah. always juggling time between the Groundlings and doing a show. So when I, when I spoke to the humility part of it, it, it was just like some people, I feel like, get to a point in their career and they just decide for themselves that they're too good to do something or they they move past this mm -hmm. whatever that is yeah and we make we make that up that's right you know, we make that up for ourselves. yeah i don't do co-stars anymore you know uh -huh. like oh right. oh really why right. why don't you do right. that you don't like to work yeah you don't like to act i'm just above that oh are you because i don't know who the hell you are mm-hmm and I'm pretty sure if I stood you out in the middle of the street, nobody knows who you are. So what do you mean you're too good to work? Is That's the work right. good? That's what you should really be thinking about. Is there something about this thing that I like and that I can contribute and that I want to do? All right, then do it. That's right. If if we're artists and we really want to act now, of course, there's like the business side of all that. But let the reps worry about that. Let them figure that out. It's You know, that's bring it all the way back to Williamstown. I met Joe Morton at Williamstown. Yeah. He was there our summer in 02. That's right. And I, I, I spoke to him and I asked him for some advice then about a career and, 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 um, you know, at the, you know, at the point in time, he was like, look, just, just try and do as much stuff as you, as you can do right now. You're, this is, this is where you're at in your life and your career. Just try and do as much stuff as you can. Right. Years later, about 10 years later, I ran into him. Um, I did this play called The Exonerated uh, Off-Broadway. Um, and he was he was in it during, um, he was rotating out when I was coming in, but he was there my week. And so I asked to take him you know, to lunch again. I said, you know, I reminded him we met at Williamstown 10 years prior. 
And I said, um, I'd love to take you out for lunch and get some more advice. And we met up and he gave me some more advice. You know, I said, look, this is, you know, this is what's been happening in my last 10 years. And I'm trying to figure out how to navigate it and make better choices and, and, and make smart decisions. And he told me, he's like, it's people, project and money. Hmm. That's He's like, that's how I make my decisions. Yeah. Do I want to work with these people? Mm-hmm. Is the project something I want to work on? Or are they paying me so much money that and I, and I want the money or I need the money? But he, but the caveat he said with the money, he's like, but if it's for the money, you make sure you're getting the money like, that you, that you, you deserve. Of, yeah, that, that you deserve, or right. also that you think that is worth it to say I did it for the money. Scale plus ten <laughs> ain't for the money, <laughs> right? You know. Mm-hmm. But if you get something that's like, look, I don't, you know, you know, I did, I got paid a hundred grand in 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 two weeks to do something. Yeah, I took it. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you can justify that for yourself and your artistic, you know, soul. But the people in the project is probably where I focus in on. You know, do I want to work with some people? Look, I'm doing this interview now because I know you, your friend is like, yeah, let's do this. If somebody else yeah. who I didn't know and we're like, I have this podcast and I do this, I might be like, I don't know. Sure. It's no, not, And it's not that I'm too good to do it. It's just that it's these aren't the kind of things that I seek out to do on a daily basis. Well, first of all, life is short. And secondly, you know, the amount of time, the amount of work that you put in uh, on your multiple projects that were things that you're working on, your t- time time's very precious. You know, it's clear. 100%. You, know, you go back to the Groundlings for a moment here just to talk about, I mean, the hours that you're putting in there while you're shooting Insecure. Yeah. Which I, I that, that's a reminder to me about the fact that that was happening at the same time. I mean, those are sometimes the hours over at Groundlings sound like you're starting out at a law firm or a hedge fund. You know, is anybody <laughs> yeah, over intense. there? Is anybody over there an actual parent who's trying to work their way up into the main company, or is is the groundlings for the childless only? <laughs> well, no, they 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 have a couple parents. There's a guy in now who just became a member. He just had a newborn. Uh, uh, no he's got shit. A two, he's got a two. He's got a a one month old and a three year old. Good for him and, for doing and, it. And and we were out last night, uh, you know, pitching stuff till eleven thirty at night. Hmm. And, and, yeah, and why am I still at the Groundlings at this point? It's like, yeah, cause, because I have, still have things I want to work on. I want to get better. Yeah. yeah. And that is a place where I can do that, where I can work on my writing and I work work on my acting and I can work on my comedic point of view and work on developing that voice on that stage in that medium, um, which I can't do just to stand up and I can't do just at home writing, writing spec scripts. You know, again, not too good to be trying to work on myself and to try to keep getting better hopefully the you know the goal the end goal is to get into like a you know to get your name out enough or to get into a mode or do enough work where people just keep offering you work so then you have to start turning down the the -hmm. other things and then your development becomes in from project to project but you're getting paid you know yeah so I now, used to always I used to always say Denzel works all the time because he works all the time. You know, same with Sam Jackson. They work all the time because they work all the time. You know, what I mean, it's like you get so I, many things rolling. It's just like, you know, I remember an interview once with Sam. Sam Jackson, by the way, has said some of my favorite things about the business, which is one, one of them is like he talked about people say uh, people say, oh, I never watch my own work. You know, and he says, why? Why not? He's like, he's, he said, it's a watch me business. <laughs> why wouldn't you watch yourself? And then I remember an interview with him once where he said something about his agents. He was just like, he's I'm finishing up this project now and my agents better have something for me to work on in the next day, you know. 
But yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that philosophy about work and I just want work too. You know, I think, you know, so let's talk about TV for a second. So TV wise, you've been booking great work all along the way on shows like The League, Parks and Recreation, Wilfred, Adam Ruins Everything. You also racked up a bunch of drama credits on procedurals like Criminal Minds, Law and Order LA, mm-hmm. NCIS and NCIS LA. And it also looks like you did a prestige miniseries early on for ESPN yes. in 2007 called The Bronx is Burning. An yes. outstanding cast, including Oliver Platt playing Yankees owner George Steinbrenner. You got Daniel Sunjata, John Totoro, Chris McDonald, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Shooter McGavin, and a couple of our Williamstown buddies, Joe Grafazzi mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Alex Cranmer. This is the story of the New York Yankees attempt to win the 1977 World Series. I guess they beat the Dodgers that year. Um, mm-hmm. And IMDb, as you listed, is playing Mickey Rivers for eight episodes. That yeah. miniseries sounds incredible. For, can you find it? Can you still watch it? Um, yeah, where could you find that? I don't know. You might be able to find the DVD somewhere. Um, that was a funny, again, that was a funny thing. We're getting concerned about the business versus concerned about the work. It, the release the release of it didn't didn't really hit that hard. Um, like it was probably new that, for ESPN at the time. It was, and they don't do scripted series anymore. Um, that we were like one of the first two or whatever scripted series that they had uh, attempted that were supposed to be around sports related things. And then shortly after, whoever I don't know, whatever higher ups decided they weren't going to do that anymore. Um, but yeah, something about the release got messed up. Like I think there was like a home home run derby or all star game or something like that. And then we were then then they were going to roll into the series, but whatever happened ran late, and so our show just kind of never really got the premiere that it was supposed to have and thus, oh, and thus right. a lot of people didn't watch it but yeah that's the business side of the things the work part of it was you know yeah for the most part life-changing for me you know i met so many great people and i had so many great conversations with people on set and things like that um that really helped me out uh, in my career and and that that would be the one thing i would say for anybody who who may be listening who might be starting out right now or, or wherever um if you you know worrying about connections and all this other stuff like i never had any of that um but yeah. when i had an opportunity to meet somebody if you give me five minutes i'm gonna fill that with five minutes of questions and knowledge seeking and, and hoping that you're gonna i mean john taturo taught me so much on that set I still use hmm. that, you know, stuff to this day um, and gave me so much confidence and, um, hmm. and and recognized early on. He's like he recognized that I was somebody young and starting off in my career and I didn't necessarily know everything and helped me out as, as opposed to being annoyed by this new kid on the block, you know, participating in this kind of took me under his wing for a little bit um, during that project. And you know, that helped me out, you know, watching Dan Sujata, like watching him Mm. portray Reggie Jackson, how he was doing stuff. I learned so much by that. Mm. Um, Joe Grafazzi, who was uh, at Williamstown during our year, I learned, I learned so much from him when I was at Williamstown. And, and, um, and then when I ran into him on set, it was just like, oh, thank God. I mean, that guy's like my uncle, my, my guardian angel, you know, I've, I've, I've kept up contact with him, um, you know, over the years. Um, yeah, you know, we've fallen out of contact a little bit, but you know, so basically, in short, I've made my own mentors, um, whether or not they were live and in person, like for real people, or whether or not it's just virtual and like kind of in my mind where I was like, I just read up everything about somebody and study their work. You know, I have every Denzel movie he's ever done. 
um, on DVD. Yeah. Um, just bought it on GP. Hunted him those things down, and I'd watch that and I'd study, and I and I looked mm-hmm. up his bios and interviews and things. At one point, I wanted to go to ACT um, in San Francisco. Why? Because Denzel went there for a time. Huh, you know, I didn't I just, know that. I, you know, I knew he would, I, just, I knew he did Fordham, but yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, interesting. So you just, you just follow people, but. But yeah, you know, when you're on these sets, a lot of things are, are all about me and like trying to prove, you know, jockeying for position and trying to prove you're somebody. Uh, Max Casella was another great guy I talked to on, right. on, on set. Who's also who was, in the series, uh, yeah. Who was also in the series. He was in The Sopranos, but, you know, most famously known as uh, from Doogie Howser as Doogie's friend. You know, talking to that guy just on lunch or in breaks or in between stuff, like really just opened me up to so many different things and uh, alan ruck you know yeah from, from succession from Ferris, and playing success, cameron and, now yeah. succession ferris bueller's you know yeah. these 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 trans you know when you're in the van with 14 people and you're just moving from set to set like some people just get on their phone and start talking no i put the phone down i look hey big fan <laughs> of your work yeah big fan of your work can you tell me about this lauren lauren dean um from um who's in the movie gattaca one of my favorite movies um yeah. he was also in 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 the movie Seth Gilliam who was on the wire and um and now uh I think Fear of the Walking Dead and a bunch of stuff. So anyways, I I basically I was in a <laughs> I was in a I ended up in a mini series where I was outclassed by everybody in the cast. I <laughs> slipped in there some kind of way. Um major casting directors, veteran casting directors on the Billy Hopkins and Paul Schnee. Yeah. Were you repped by one of the big agencies at the time? Did Wild and Out get you no. with? No. No, I've never been repped by a big agency. I've really? Never been. Well, actually, I take that back. I was with APA for for a okay. short stint. Yeah. Um, but overall, no. Overall, fighting tooth and nail mm-hmm. to get any and everything that I got. Even with Insecure, like you know, I ended up on there in season three, but you know, I had tested for the pilot. Yeah, they brought me in for something else. Right. You know, I was close to that. They brought me in for something. I probably auditioned for like four or five different characters before before I, think I ended you had up said with, you. Yeah, you had auditioned. You thought maybe nineteen, or were you exaggerating? Nineteen times. No, that was it. I was a joke. Uh, that was a joke. Okay. No, but for no. Least... Actually, that's that's actually probably not uh, an inaccurate number of how many times I've auditioned. But I auditioned for about four or five different characters. characters but yeah, yeah. it, it might have been like nineteen different auditions. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it's just tooth and nail on stuff. So like, I you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to that point in my life where you know I have big fancy reps and I and I just mm. get, you know, I just get emails that that say offer. But <laughs> until that happens, all I know is wake up and fight. Yeah. How many agencies and management companies have you worked with so far? I don't know. I mean, probably not that many, but. No, I've definitely fired a couple. Uh, maybe. <laughs> probably I, I, probably I, I know. at least six, probably. Okay. Yeah. How do you usually go about getting yourself someone new? Because I think one of the things that I think about a lot is like it's hard to know. A, a, a place can have a nice, a good name. You could mm-hmm. have a nice meeting with somebody. Mm-hmm. And then in the working relationship, it's like, well, they're not doing anything. Or they're not doing anything that they said they were going to do. You know, it would be nice to know. In advance, if there was a network of saying this person's bullshit, <laughs> this person works hard, it's hard for us on our end of the th- to have any kind of uh, word of mouth, I guess, about like who should we be working with. You know, yeah, we need like an actor's Yelp. 
<laughs> like, That's right. We got, rate my agent. Yeah, rate my agent. This agent's got three stars. <laughs> there isn't a rate my agent. We should do that. That's probably, yeah, that's probably the niche in the marketplace that could make us a little bit of money one oh, time. A tiny little bit of money, one pop, yeah. One time before they shut it down some kind of way. <laughs> well, look, I mean, what you speak to, what you speak to, again, just, just folds back into what I'm saying is like, you just got to do the work. You just got to get better. And and when you look in the mirror, you got to be critical. And not everybody can be critical. Most of the time we're delusional. Mm. But not everybody can look in the mirror and say, I got to do better. And then go out and do it. Mm-hmm. And try to do it. It's, whether or not you get there or not, it's just the effort made towards that will lead towards what you want to get. And it never stops. So a lot of times in lieu of getting better, taking a class, writing something, creating something like this podcast, you know, for yourself in in lieu of creating and doing things for yourself. We put a lot of responsibility onto the representatives of us Mm -hmm. and blame them. Right. That's true. Some sometimes that that does happen. Sure. Mm -hmm. But but I mean, just I mean, just imagine, you know, you're a manager, you've got a, you know, 100 clients, you know, how many can you call a hundred people in a day? No, I don't think so. And effectively do your job, you know. And 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 there's ebbs and flows in this business, you know. For something to be written for you that is right for you, it's kind of a luck of a draw. Most of the time, we're trying to you know fit that 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 pe- that what is it round the peg round in peg square, in the square hole or whatever yeah. in the square hole. Most of the time, that's what we're doing with these auditions, trying to do that, saying, yeah. no, "I'm telling you, it'll work." And it doesn't. And then you see who did it and you're like, I could have done that. You could have, but you, but they didn't think you could for whatever reason. That's not always a reflection of your talent. It's just, it doesn't line up with the colors that they're trying to paint with whoever the producers or directors they're trying to paint with. But we lash out oftentimes at our reps. And and, and again, sometimes they're, they are deserving of that. Um, But overall, what are we supposed to be? What are we here to do? You know, if you're an act, well, I got an act. If you're an actor, you got an act. That's it. So how do you do that? You know, if you're not act, if you're not booked on something, you better get in a class. If you can't afford a class, you better, you know, call somebody over and let's just run some lines. Hmm. People, you know, I mean, when COVID, when COVID shut down, things down and everybody had to do self tapes, I can't tell you how many people were freaking out and pissed and, and mad about it. But I've been doing self tapes like I don't know how many, probably six or seven years before all this has happened. Pitching yourself for stuff? I had a camera and I was like, could, you know, if I put myself on tape, would they, you know, and I started, I was just doing it. No I know shit. I've been self, I know I've been self-taping since at least 2013. Hell, that, that, that Parks and Rec credit that you referenced, what it, I don't know what the IMDb says on that date, but that was a self-tape. So wait a minute. Let me get this straight. So that so going back then, that means that you, you you that didn't come necessarily from a representative. You found this. You got the sides off Showfax. No, 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 no. I did have the appointment, but I didn't. I didn't, I couldn't go to the audition, so I taped myself. But I had started taping before that, and I said, "Look, if you can give me the sides, will I? You know, if I put it on tape, even though I don't have the appointment, do you think you would?" Now, this is what I was approaching my reps with. Like, what, do you think you could pass that on? Mm, yeah. And like, we'll try, we'll try. 
Um, but that, that that particular Parks and Rec, and I don't remember I don't remember what that date is on that. Maybe that's 2010 or 11 or something. I don't know if you have the IMDb up, but um, but I was out of town at that point in time, and I had to record myself and send it in, and I ended up booking it. But yeah, I I had been doing self taste prior to that, um, because I wasn't getting enough opportunity. So I'm just looking for solutions, and you know, just send me sides, and then outside of that. It's like, well, I can just record myself and and at least evaluate my own work. I actually, and now that I say that, yeah, it just brings me to something else I remember. When I first moved to New York, before I started auditioning, again, I knew nothing, but I did have a camera. I was recording myself with my audition material. I was recording myself and watching it over and over again in my parents' basement hmm. um, in Connecticut as I was getting ready to move into New York. Because that's the only way I knew how I could, you know, get some kind of feedback off my acting. I was like, well, I'm going to have to do it right now. Hmm. Um, so I recorded myself and, uh, and I, actually just, I actually just found that uh, last Christmas. I found some of those. You found those old recordings? Yeah, it, it, looks, it looks crazy. But, but, but it's true, though. I mean, because we've been doing that. I, I mean, I think after a year and a half now of doing or two years, th- Jesus, two and a half years of doing some, mm-hmm. these self-tapes during the pandemic. It is. It's eye-opening to see what you're putting out there, mm-hmm. and you and can you help can, yourself. You know, you can help yourself if you can take that step and just I, again. Half of it is just admitting, like I got to do more work. I'm not good enough. I want to do. I want to do better. How am I gonna do better? I'm gonna work on this like this. But yeah, but so by the time this lockdown happened and people were freaking out, I'm like, this is nothing. I can, I can, I can bang this out in an hour. You know. Um, yeah. Because I have my own system, I know how to do it, and and I've gotten good responses for that. But and I, I feel like I'm way off on a on a no, don't worry I about like it. I'm off. A, I feel like I'm on a weed gummy tangent, and I'm not, I haven't had my weed gummy yet. But uh, <laughs> the, the point is, yeah. Again, I just can't say this more enough, 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 enough. It's like you are. I think the actors and the creators and the talent are in so much more control of things than we think we are. And there's also so much stuff that's out of our control that we try to control. Um, it got nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Social media, you know, all those things, you know, getting photos, like going to parties and being in a, I'm sure that helps. I'm sure that would, you know, make a difference in my life, but I'm, I'm not all that interested in it. Um, so I don't do it. I put my time in like, where's Leonard? I'm working somewhere. I'm working out somewhere. Yeah. Every day. I'm either on stage in some comedy club or I'm on stage at the Groundlings. Or um um or or some other improv theater or uh or I'm booked. Now I want I want to ask you about this because I listened to you and uh, do an interview on another podcast called the Risking Space, mm-hmm. where you talked about the audition process for Insecure. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating journey to booking the role of Torian, for which you are very well known now. Uh, but first, just to say. A huge congratulations on a fantastic run on a Peabody Award-winning, multiple Emmy Award-nominated, and NAACP Image Award-winning comedy series. Congrats that. on you. that. Created by a visionary artist, Miss Issa Rae. Yes. We should also talk about the other podcast <laughs> that you mm-hmm. did because it is your wife, Roxana. Yes, Roxana Ortega. Mm-hmm. It's her podcast in, her, in a partnership and, with Carla Mosley and yes. the Ammunition Theater Company, of which they are mm-hmm. both company members. The podcast, as I said earlier, is called The Risking Space. It's excellent. 
They've also had on Elna Baker of This American Life, who's been a guest on my podcast as well. The Risking Space has great interviews with artists, and folks should go check them out. I want to put that out there. And now I have to ask you, what kind of courage does it take? <laughs> what kind of courage does it take to be interviewed on a podcast yeah. by your own wife? Because <laughs> that seems like a high-pressure situation. Talk about the risking space. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the I guess the the great thing about me is I can I can I can compartmentalize pretty well. Um, it's on, a great interview. On most on most things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was I was I was actually honored to be you know part of their you know on their guest list. They've had so many great, amazing, prominent guests. I, I you know just I'm just like I'm honored to be on this one. I'm like, oh wow, you think I'm interview worthy? Okay. Feeling oh, you good. sure are. Yeah, absolutely. Feeling, you feeling are. good. Put a little feather in my cap. I've gotten, I've gotten to interview worthy status. Did you do the pre-interview chat with her about what this is? I don't want to talk about this, or you know, I don't want to get too personal about this or that. Ah, I try not to censor, you know, whatever the oh, process good, is. Good, good you know. for you. That's cool. If I don't want to answer a question, I'll bob my bob and weave my way out of it. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so. Um, Insecure fans know you as Torian, one of Molly's co-workers at the law office on the series. And as you've said, you, you tested for the pilot. Originally, you tested for the mm-hmm. character of Lawrence, which ultimately mm-hmm. went to Jay Ellis. In fact, as we've mm-hmm. talked about, you've auditioned you auditioned multiple times. Somewhere in that process, you got offered Torian. And I, could I just mm-hmm. ask, what was that phone call like? Was it a phone call when they offered you Torian eventually? Did, they, did, they, did you get a phone call? Or was it an email? Did it come from your reps? Um, let me think. I think at the time, well, the story behind that, uh, I think at the time I'd got an email as an offer for something. It just had an, I didn't even have a last name at the time. It was possible recurring, Hmm. works at Molly's new job, name is Torian. They're offering it to you. That was it. Okay. So it came through the reps. It was a one day of work. And then it turned into potential for more potential. For and, more. Yeah. and again, when you're going from like I was, you know, when you test for like a series and you know the numbers, you know, you know, everybody, you can't help but fantasize like how this is going to change your life. And then to go all the way down to you get an offer for one. No guarantee on anything. But for me, for me, again, people project money. Mm-hmm. The, I wanted to be around those people and I wanted to be part of that project. Yeah. I was not concerned about the money. I, you know, season five, I got upgraded to season series regular. That's right. Um, which was fantastic. But at the time, again, I just was like, okay, I'll take this day by day. I'll take this episode to episode. And I just want to make this the best experience that I can have in this short amount of time and do the best work I can with this short amount of time. And, and we'll see what happens there. And, and that season three was turned out to be five of eight episodes. Season four, I think I'm in three of eight, maybe I think three of eight. And then um, well, last season, um, I think I'm in eight of ten, but hmm. whatever uh, was guaranteed all ten episodes, which was, you know, money wise, which great. But yeah, experience wise, again, it was just like I just want to be part of this world. I just felt I had felt when the pilot was announced having been a fan of Issa and seeing her work on the um, web you know, series, on, yeah. our, on our web series yeah, stuff yeah. and her book, I, I thought 
I got to be part of this world. There's something about this woman that is groundbreaking and innovative. And I think she's the next one, you know, and I didn't imagine where she's at now would be who she was. But I just knew there was some rumblings. Same, same, same way I feel about Quinta Brunson with uh, with Mm -hmm. Abbott Elementary. Yeah. You know, I knew about her when I when I saw her. When I saw the announcement for that, I was like, "Ooh, something feels right about this show." Yeah. Um, I mean, that's my that's my one regret I would have about the insecure experience is that at the rap party for season five, I did not talk to Quinta. Uh, I was a little, I was a little. Uh, You're a little shy. Enough. Uh, yeah, a lot enough at my own rap party, I was a little shy. Yeah, it happens. Uh, it happens. You know, it's it's well because being performers, it's like we have it's really it's the two sides of the coin, don't you think? Like it's we're extroverted, we're introverted, you know. It's, yeah. So next up, you're appearing in a in a series for Netflix about the last blockbuster store with your yes. wild out colleague Randall Park and our mutual friend Melissa Fumero. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that series? It's very exciting. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Vanessa Ramos, the, our showrunner and creator, um, you know, partnered up with uh, Jackie Clark and, and David Casp. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a workplace comedy set in the, the the last blockbuster in in the United States, and uh, you know I can't wait for everybody to see it and hope they enjoy it. You know, again, that's another one of those things where you know audition for one thing, don't get it, but I'm fortunate enough that you know they found some other place for me. Is that um, right? So you had auditioned for a different character on that particular show, and then yes, oh, that's great to know. That's that's very cool. Yes, the role that I auditioned for um, eventually went to J.B. Smooth, which, again, it, it, if you're listening, J.B. Smooth and I could not be any more different right. in so many different ways, you know. Um, so that, that those are those things that are out of your control. But they saw enough in the auditions that I that I gave that they were like, oh, well, maybe you'd be right for this role. Hmm. And, you know, again, happy to have it. Again, people, project money. You know, I want to work with those people, and I like the project. Yeah. So that's that's enough for me. And know? this one is a is it a, it's a sitcom? Is that right? It's not a single cam. No, a single cam. Yeah. Oh, it is a single oh, cam. Okay, yep. I, I misread mm-hmm. that on one of the write ups. So can I ask you? Um, this is based originally on this is based on a real destination, which is was part of a documentary originally, right? The, Yes, but it, there's no real relation to, to the documentary and this project. I mean, it's just it's just set in the idea of the last place, the last blockbuster in America. But it it has there's really no no big connection to the documentary and this project. Does it have a kind of a does it explore a kind of an existentialism in that it's like this place is the last of something? It's sort of the the death is sort of hanging around it and all the characters are in some ways sort of in a purgatory. Uh, wow. That's, that's a real deep read into, into that log line. I, I would say, I would probably say, I would probably say no, <laughs> no, um, not at all. I, I, oh, come no, on, I, no. I, I would say, think about it like a, a you know, a workplace rom-com. Yes. There's some nineties nostalgia, um yeah, yeah. And, and reverence to, to to that kind of thing um but yes the idea of um probably yeah finding yourself and in 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 and figuring out who you are and what you want when you're when you're stuck in this this kind of place that is dying and you know how do you find new life and bring that life you know 
um, or kick that or change bring bring that life to life can you say that uh bring, that life you know, bring life. new bring new life to to something that is dying that's what i meant to say oh so there's a sort of a sweet thing there yeah okay all right great yeah i just depend listen it really it, i think it would i it's it, it would be about tone you know certain comedy mm-hmm. could go into i would imagine could go to that kind of a like the it crowd was a little bit existential right mm-hmm. they're all in that basement you know, all the mm-hmm. time, and you know, there's a sense of impending doom. And but this Netflix series, this is going to sort of focus a little bit more on sort of finding something new, making something new again. That kind of an idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. No, that makes and, sense. And, yeah. and again, the people, the people are great. You know, the creators are great. And um, absolutely. Yeah. And again, I you know, I'm thankful for the thankful for the work. Uh, and again, I, I think yeah holding to those principles of uh, people in, in project, you know, it worked out, you know, you do enough shows and you do enough work. Sometimes you're like this work environment, you know, every time I read that about somebody, like somebody left the show because the work environment was a I'm like, what is that about? Cause all I hear is all the money they're leaving on the table and they're, and they're walking away from, but I get it. I mean, look, showing up, you know, again, like you said, there's only so much time yeah. we have in a day and on this earth. You know, how do you want to spend it? You know, and so anytime you can find a place where people are great and nice and kind and everybody's working together to create a to create that kind of environment. um, I love that. Yeah. And finally, uh, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram. That's probably the only place I'm at. Uh, I am Leonard Robinson. Uh, Yeah. Okay. I have a I have a website leonardrobinson.com. It, there's really nothing on it, but <laughs> but a bio and a picture of me. But if you want to, if if you're still into websites, I love I a good one. website. Sure, yeah. If you're still into websites, I got one. <laughs> well, Leonard, this has been great. Uh, you're one of the smartest, funniest people I've ever met. Um, oh wow. Okay, I appreciate that. Can you write, oh, yeah. put that in writing and email that back to me? Oh, absolutely. I remember, I still remember your monologue at Williamstown. Your first oh, monologue. Really? Holy shit! It was fucking funny. Um, that was Eric Bogosian. Uh, that's what I thought. Yep. Yeah, you've got a great work ethic. I deeply admire and a confidence that I'm in awe of. Uh, thanks so much for making the time to chat with me. I, I wish you continued success, safety, and good health. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, and uh, honored to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Leonard Robinson. A big thanks again to Leonard for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews with folks like Claiborne Elder, Beth Reisgraf, Susie Abramite, Gil McKinney, Sufi Bradshaw, Remy Dunn, and Michael Grant Terry coming in the next few weeks. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Baron Vaughn, Sarah Paxton, Chantal Tui, Christine Woods, Patrick Adams, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And you can check out our link tree to get some of our merch. Our link tree is on our Instagram at things are going great for me. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five-star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words, and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Ji Young Han. We chat about our musical theater training. She shares insights from her job working as an assistant to a talent manager and how it led to her testing for her first television pilot as an actor. We chat castability, researching historical context for a role, and pay for working actors. It's a super fun chat. 
Here now is the smart, very funny, and super talented Ji Young Han. We were introduced uh, via our mutual friend, John Fletcher. And my joke about this now is that John became my unofficial booker this season when we had to reschedule his interview. And he's he's such a good dude that he, he put us in touch. John has too many friends. He's too well liked. Uh, he has he knows a lot of people, and he's and he could be a casting director with how many actors yeah. he knows. Yeah, yeah. There's that phrase. He must be stopped. I think for John, it's the opposite. He must <laughs> yes. be. He must be encouraged. Yes, he 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 knows so many people, and he's a good guy, and he 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 knows some really wonderful, talented people especially like just the working actors not like not like the uh not like the margot robbies of the world obviously he probably does know all them but he knows <laughs> he knows all the people who are who are just grinding and he he's a really he's a great guy he knows great folks and you are one of them and he you know he's introduced me to a few other folks that i've had the pleasure of interviewing now and um so you know i, I didn't i don't think that i uh, I didn't know who you were, but as soon as I got an opportunity to look a little bit up, you know, your background and what you've been working on, like you, you have just this wonderful resume and wonderful background of the arts. So you, you studied musical theater. Is that yeah. right? At, at AMDA in New yeah, York City? That's how I met John. Yeah. Did, what, is that right? That's how you met him. Did yes. he go to that program with you? Yes. We he's probably one of my oldest friends in the biz. You know, we've known each other before agents were involved and and we did we met each other before we knew what a pilot season was. And and yeah, so I've known him for so long. So that's incredible. I I went to a musical theater program when I was in New York for my oh, yeah. first two years of college. I was at a studio called Cap Twenty One. Uh huh. Is that through NYU? That was it. Was at NYU at the time. Yeah, and then I, it it's somewhere else right? now. Yeah, uh-huh. I think it. I don't know where. I'm trying to remember, but I can't off the top of my head. I can't remember where they are now. But it's a great studio run by yeah. very passionate people and sweet people and people it's the faculty was lovely you know and uh this is ringing a bell now i'm remembering now that amda has a very strong musical theater program great reputation yeah amda's funky but i also think amda it when you look at every school you know uh there are obviously amda's interesting because you had you did have a nice big collection of uh truth be told, like extremely talented people. And then like, what are you doing here? And I think that that's, that's my God honest truth. And of me saying that I was like, what are you doing here? Like you, this is not the career you should be going through, but bigger picture, bigger Uh picture of it all. Yeah. I, there have been so many talented people who have gone to that school and who has taken their training and and really they have wonderful really really wonderful careers and you could say that with any school like i mm-hmm. i know so many people who have gone to i'm not going to list the school names because this is the moment where people are going to come at me <laughs> but like i've many a prestigious school and they're not 
doing much, you know, like I was like, they're yeah. not doing necessarily. So yeah. at the end of the day, if you're talented, I think the, the reality is get the best training you could get, obviously, especially, um, yeah, like at, at that impressionable age, you know, you should just be working. And then if you're talented, your career will unfold. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really interesting because yes, that's, that is totally true. And I, you know, when I was at NYU, the way it functions, the Tisch School is like, it's a small high school within this enormous university. And so, right. and they have the, these relationships with all these different acting studios. And so, you know, I think like the, every year, I don't know if they're still this many, but they took, I think our year was at least a hundred students, which is different than a lot of the other programs that you look at a program like BU, I think they take 40, then they do a cut. Right. After the first year, you look at a program like Carnegie Mellon, and it's, it's just a group of maybe 15, 12 to 15 actors. That's it in a, B, in a BFA program. And at a school like NYU, you, I mean, there are people that, I mean, I remember when graduating, like some people quit acting right away, right, right. away. Like, and when immediately either they went to grad school or they did, but some of a lot of successful folks coming out of my program, but they, not all actors, some have become, I can think of the top of my head, like one person I'm thinking of a big stylist, many, many of the big yeah. stars, um, people who work in production for folks like JJ Abrams, folks who um, are big deal directors now. And, yeah. and there's a lot of casting directors, big, big casting directors oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. who are like more talented than I am. And they're, but they're successful casting directors because that's <laughs> just like, the direction that they they preferred and it, it, it is wild yeah it, i think it's just the way the industry works i think that you know you, i don't think if a, a person could do wrong by doing a program like this it's not it, even if it ends up meaning that someone does not stick with acting and then right. you know someone like me like i feel like i am just i stuck with it and i am i'm struggling i'm trying my best I, i've been doing this now since i was 11 professionally yeah, wow. without ever being famous and without ever being very, uh, without making riches. But I think that, uh, I, you know, I, I feel fairly content about it. Yeah. I love it. And I think that's fulfilling in and of itself. I like the, the sort of the, the adventure of it, but it's not the end of the world. And like you said, I also know folks who've gone to those very prestigious programs who are not acting at all. Right. Yeah. Now. So, yeah. Um, and then yeah. I, I guess I understand then you went on to study additionally or further at the new school. Is that yes, correct? I went to the new school, uh, at that time, it was literally like, I went to Amden and then right after I transferred to the new school and it was really, really wonderful. But at the same time I was like, all right, well, I want to get a job. And I took a job because no one would hire me as an actor. Like everyone was going to like hairspray open calls. And I was just like, not right for hairspray. They're like, this is a show about embracing diversity, but we're not ready for you okay, yet in the sixties. Right. Like we don't know what to do with you. We're not yeah. sure if we should put you in the white ensemble or the black ensemble. We're just not sure. Sorry. Uh, but uh, I, I, I just was like, okay, I, I, I'm going to take some time in and just take, get a job, finish school. And I took a job uh, as an assistant for a manager in hmm. New York. And I 
really, I was like studying and, and interning for her. And at that time, she she had sent all of her clients to uh, audition for this NBC pilot. At the time, that was like a big deal. It Nothing really came of it. It was uh, it was the American adaptation of Kath and Kim, the Australian oh, show. Okay, this rings yeah. a bell, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was what, like 2008, I believe, is when it happened. And so I was in school and she was kind of like, okay, she's like a weird girl. I don't know what to do with her. And and she, she was one of those, like, I am curious what what would happen if I threw her in. And it just mm. happened to be like, none of her other clients were like gonna go any further. You might as well try. And if they don't like her. And I do think it was like, at that point, they were just like, why can't we cast this character? They wanted like a weird type, a very specific type. And uh, and I auditioned for it. And I I think like there was like a lot of conversation about me testing for it but then they ended up changing the character but i think that kind of piqued her interest because mm. she's like oh okay like you know like she's they liked her they, they yeah that's a strong strong first audition for a, a series regular for a comedy and from then on she kind of took me on and i booked like i booked two very big independent films in new york at that time mm. uh which means nothing in the grand scheme of the world anymore, unless you're in La La Land. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and, and at the time, and then my agents kind of jumped on me and literally I was like, I don't think I should be in school anymore. And then I like left school because I was working so much. And wow. that kind of was like a weird, that's kind of how my my whole career started. That's an incredible story. I, and I've, I, you know, I've heard, of other folks who have done a similar thing where it's like, they've gotten an internship working for an agent yeah. or working yeah. for a manager and they end up uh, at the very least learning so much about, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. about how it really works. And I think that nobody gave me that particular advice. That would have been great advice, I think, yeah. you know, to because you're, your understanding, I mean, could you speak to that? You know this, you've, you, you were sitting there. So wh what did you notice early on about uh, what are some of the myths that actors may believe about what's going on behind the curtain at their agency or management company? Um, I think that, I think one thing I, I saw a casting director say once that resonated, uh, Marcy Phillips in ABC. I don't oh, remember yeah. where she said this, but she said one time, like every actor, you, you'll kind of read a breakdown and you just go, that's me. Like every actor thinks like, <laughs> that is me. Right, they and read it like a horoscope. Yes, they're like, I that this role has never been more perfect. My, my mood reality, is rising just like for the character and yeah. And the reality is there aren't, you're probably not. Like there's a very <laughs> like small handful of people who are actually perfect for certain roles. And I think what happened specifically at that time too, I definitely, I'm not one of those actors who looks at breakdowns anymore. I know people still do. And I think everyone has their piece, like that's either good for them or not. And I I, I also think that, yeah, if, if you know, mistakes get made. Like if you think you're really right for something and your agents didn't get you an audition, like you should, like I, I've had, I've had this year alone, I've had an opportunity uh, 
that almost didn't happen solely because a casting director just was like, I don't know her. I don't care. And mm, cut yeah. to like, the only reason I got seen was because my, my agent was good friends with the writer. You know, it's like mistakes always get made. A casting director mm. is doing the best they can. Agents are always doing their best. So if, as long as you're like, I, I get the whole wanting to be as much in control of it, but having been on the other side, like, you know, you could read a breakdown and they'd be like, it sounds exactly like you, but and you don't understand why you can't get an audition for it. Like you don't understand why you're not getting seen for it. But the reality is it's, it might not be you. And most of the time it's like, if as long as you're working with the right agents, like really like the people who believe in you and love you, there's a reason you're not getting seen for things. And it's not always just like, because they're not doing their job or they don't care about you. Like they want to make money too. Mm -hmm. They want the best for you and they're doing the best they can. So from my end, I think I, I saw like, you know, you don't get it. Like it's something as simple as like that role was perfect for you, but actually they cast someone who's exactly like you for the other role and they just offered it to her. And that's why like, you're gonna not be right for this role anymore. It's like, <laughs> you know, like there's so much more at play uh, than, and I think actors, we kind of sometimes think the world just revolves around us. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yes. And do you, do you, um, are you still doing that thing of like, do you seek out a role that might be on the horizon and on some important project or you get wind of something and you're like, Ooh, I, I could be right for that and tell your raps. Do you do that? Uh, you know, Cause I feel I, like I've gotten very like lazy about that. I don't think so. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of like what that is. So like there used to be times where like I would hear a news thing about a book being adapted into a series. Mm. And then I'm that person who reads the book <laughs> and then tells my agent. And you know what? A couple of those where I was like, I actually would be great for this. Never heard anything about a series ever moving forward. So it's like, I'm mm. glad I read the book, but it's like, yeah, you know, like you, you I think you just have to really trust that if it's happening, your agents will get you seen for it. Like if, you know, it, 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 it's kind of a waste of like your dreams to like focus on those. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one. Like the only other time I was like laser focused was when Pachinko was announced. But, and my agents were on it, except for the fact that apart from it, from it being a Korean story, I was not right for any of the characters, <laughs> uh, right. but, and it was okay. such a long time, like before, like I approached them about it versus like they were actually casting it. So I kind of am just like, there are a lot of opportunities more than you think, um, apart from the ones that you think are gonna be the ones. <laughs> and so it just feels like, I don't know, it's, it's like trying to daydream your way into like, like if I said, oh, Chris Evans is is looking for a future wife, he's real like, and me just like setting my sights on trying to like date Chris <laughs> Evans. It's like, it's not <laughs> totally impossible. It's not totally <laughs> impossible. You can put it out into the universe you for can, sure. Except yeah. you, when you're just focused on that, you you aren't meeting really wonderful people around you. That's how I see it. I, I, I try ah, to be a little like bit that. more 
I, I do try to be a little bit more present about it. That's cool. I like that a lot. So, but so, but going back to what you were saying, and you had said this to me, like when we were emailing back and forth a little bit, you had said that when it came to theater, it mm. seems like specifically, and I guess musical theater, which is something that you love, something I love as well. And it's, you know, the cast, you wrote that the casting directors weren't sure what to do with a plucky Korean girl yeah. whose audition pieces included the ladies who lunch, which is a <laughs> fucking hilarious line. And I love that song. So, yeah. but you did something about it, it looks like at the time, because you developed a web series, a comedic musical. Oh, yeah. Web series called City of Dreams with a couple yeah. of friends of yours. And um, it is wonderful. I watched yes. some of it. I recommend go, folks go check it out on YouTube. And you've recruited some big names in Broadway to appear in the series like yeah. Billy Porter. And it turned out, because I read this, Laura Osnes, who was who was uh, John Fletcher again, helpful, yeah. I guess, right? In yes. recruit her for that. Yeah, a, just a match, John. Yes, um, yes. Loved it. And so, you know, this to me though, indicates that you were not gonna sit around and wait for people to find you. You were yeah. gonna make them deal with you and see your see your immense talents. And do you, I mean, can you- I like, how you I like how you said that. You're gonna make them deal with you. Like that's yeah. gonna be the title of my memoir. <laughs> I'm gonna make you deal with me. You're yeah. not ready for me, but I'm gonna make you deal with me. I think as it should be. And so, and I, I loved it. So can you talk a little bit about like, what was the frustration that led to a, an aha moment or a trigger moment of like, we're gonna go out, we're gonna make something. It's gonna yeah. be everything that we want it to be in terms of, it's gonna be funny. It's going to have original music in it. I mean, this to me is a level of creativity that uh, I, I'm just in awe of how yeah. wonderful it was when it came together. City of Dreams. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you were able to understand the timing of it, but we 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 worked on it right when we first saw like the previews for Smash. And, oh, love uh, it. Yeah. Yes. And my friends and I, we, you know, all of us, we, uh, John, Justin and I, we came together and we were just having this dinner and kind of going like every musical theater uh, story that's kind of out in the world is very glamorized, uh, you know, especially with Smash, like this girl, Karen, who no one has, she does not have a resume, apparently. But there's she gotta be, might. There's, there's got to be a scene where they arrive at, at Port Authority and with, <laughs> exactly. a, with a roller bag. Yeah, exactly. Everything is started to be an Annie. It's like and mm -hmm. and the reality is it's not like that. And uh, I mean, the fact that I've had a really, really wonderful career and but I had to kind of step away from what I really wanted to do because it, there were just I didn't see a place for me in there. And we we're kind of talking about that. Like, it's like you know, some of my favorite musical theater artists are like the weirdest ones. And, you know, they're, they're all just, we're like, that's what I kind of was drawn to the, mm. the, and I, I don't know if it was like a feeling of musical theaters feeling prim and proper too pretty to this, but we're like, uh, we, that story is important for us too, like, you know, the horror stories of auditioning because <laughs> a horror story of like doing a bad, bad musical theater audition is always oh, they're, worse. They're infinitely worse than anything it's else, yeah. Always I, I had worse. one once where, cause I, so when I was at CAP 21, I did, you know, we did singing, dancing, acting. My dancing of course was 
terrible. I loved it. I but it's very threw myself into it, but I was, it's very vulnerable. I wasn't very good at it. And I, you know, uh, I think I got straight B minuses in all of my dance classes. But I think that, um, but I do remember coming out of college and going to a particular audition that was dance, it was tap heavy. And they lined everybody up. They brought a bunch of people into a room and the, the, the Tony award winning uh, choreographer did the tap routine so quickly for us to quickly watch and learn and then danced us two at a time in front of everybody. And it was just, I was out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to see this. Doing a Charlie Chaplin impression. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but they are, they can be absolutely. They're mortifying. And, and there's like, you either had your star to be moment. You either went in there, crushed it, knew you crushed it, or it was the worst day of your life. I feel like the the audition for a musical theater, there's no spectrum. I, I don't know that many spectrums. The spectrum is like going to an EPA call because it's like mm -hmm. you could do well, but it's going nowhere. But like, uh -huh. but, I, and uh, I think at that time I was telling them about a horrible audition that I went to for musical theater. I had auditioned for Into the Woods at the public and oh my God. I wow. for little red and mm. I wow. gave such a great like first initial audition for the director like I gave such a good audition but but then I had to come back for like more people you know like <laughs> yeah and so I I like slayed it at this audition and I think I was like really working on that song I know things now way too much. Like I was listening to, I was really focused on it and like really aggressively belting it that I lost my voice and like showed uh, back up to like all the important people who would be the decision of like whether you get it or not. And yeah. I think it was like wild to like, and I was talking about this laughing at how mortifying bad auditions can be. Like imagine squeaky G, like just doing her best <laughs> like now you have casting directors and the director just being like what the fuck happened <laughs> right you you see that they may have to lean over and be like yes. they were really good last yeah, time yeah last time and i was like it's not but we were we were laughing about that just like how like how mortifying the experience is and how you know that that's really takes a toll mm. on uh stage actors and we wanted to come up with this series city of dreams to more uh talk about that like mm -hmm. yeah. talk about uh just there's this weird uh new york culture of musical theater artists not the ones who are on necessarily broadway just all the ones just trying to make it that that's that's always a little humiliating. That's always like the folks that are putting up their little cabaret reviews at different yes, bars around yes, downtown. Yeah, yes, absolutely. All of those, which is just not the same as <laughs> the auditioning culture in Los Angeles. There's, it's just not, it's just not the same. It's hard to explain. Uh, and, and we, we did it. I, I don't know what got us into making it uh, original music. I think we just, we just had people who were so good at writing music that it made sense. Um, and no, it was just, it kind of was an opportunity for us to just be like, 
let's do the show we want to do, not the show anyone asked us to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's wonderful. I, so, you know, then since since then you you moved out to California. You're from here originally, right? Yes. You, you were you were born in a play, or sorry, I don't know. You were raised in Walnuts, California. Walnut, California. Mustang. You, you must have written that to me because then I was like Walnut, California, yeah. and I looked it up. It's uh, because it's an interesting name for a town. Turns out that it's about equidistant from LA as places like Anaheim and yeah. Pasadena. Yeah. Walnut, California has been ranked a California best city to live in. Did you go to did you go to high school in Walnut or in LA? In Walnut, Walnut High School. It's uh it's it's weird to say I'm from LA because it is LA, but it reads more Walnut definitely reads more like Orange County suburbs. Yeah. Uh because everyone I know in our age bracket who genuinely grew up in Los Angeles like when we grew up their stories of growing up in LA. It's like, yeah, by the time I was 12, I went to rehab and like then when I was like 15, I got back into the Coke. It's like, right, like right. I didn't know what rehab was until I was maybe 20. Like Walnut was like, we are studying. We're just working on our SAT prep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was so, a much more sheltered community. Yeah. Yeah. The LA world is uh, wild. It's wild. I would imagine. I mean, I've, I've had some friends over the years who have grown up here and, um, you know, and now my kids, I'm, I think about them and them growing up here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a fast, it, it feels like it could be a fast town to grow up in. Yeah. Definitely back in the 90s, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, it's different. Way oh different. Oh my God. Um, but I think that, you know, New York, I think too, it's like you, you hear those stories of the New York kids who grew yeah. up and are they're taking the subway home at age like 10 by themselves yeah. in New York City. And like, I, yeah. you, I could not fathom that yeah. as a parent now the idea of just letting your kid find their way home in a major city um so then but do you feel like you were close enough to you know in the sense that it was sort of preparing you in the abstract in advance for taking on a career in entertainment were you that kind of close to what was going on with entertainment the entertainment uh, business honestly i don't think so like i don't think i think it was cool. I remember my favorite activity as a senior was to uh, my friends and I, we got our cars and we would drive to LA and we would go to movie premieres and get people's signatures. There's oh, yeah. like a, there's a really cute, like Getty image of me at the click premiere with braces getting kissed by Adam Sandler. It exists. What? I, what? I'm going to find it for you. Oh my God. Will you it's please send it? so funny, oh, but my that's God. what I would do. And, uh, but like, that's not <laughs> our life, you know, that's not our life at all. Uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it, it's not the same. I think unless you're fully in it, you're going to learn all these new things because I, I just felt like it felt like I should have known more, but no one I knew was into entertainment. Everyone was an upper middle class Asian person just trying to go to UCLA, you know, like, so it, it almost felt a little bit, mm. I think on that's kind of why I decided to make the move to New York. I wanted to really immerse myself in the art and really focus on it. And I think had I stayed in LA, I don't know if I necessarily would have uh, done it. It would have felt like I could always go back home or, mm, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's probably 
you had to yeah. like re- remove that safety net a little bit. Do you yeah. feel is that kind of what you mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And then when you were in New York, you, as you said, you television and film were going pretty well. Yeah. I mean, so you, you're, it looks like your first TV acting job was on 30 Rock. Is that right? Yeah, that was my first job. Hell yeah. That's a, that's that, a great booking. It was wild. It was so, and everyone was so nice. It was when Kelsey Grammer guest starred during like the height of his, <laughs> like, I think he like left Camille and like, was like engaged to get married. Oh, Camille, like, right. The, I was like, yeah, I yeah, only, like, it was I like, think in terms of Frasier, but not in terms of real house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, but yeah, like, this I'm was like you. a big, a big thing. Like I, I wasn't a housewife person. I just knew that that was a big trending moment of, <laughs> of, of time. And Jack McBrayer and um, Jane Krakowski, they were mm. so nice. And yeah. you don't always get that. Like, no, I think no. it's yeah. very scary. And I also think when you do your first, your first co-star, your first any job, there is nothing that prepares you for that. It's always going to be a little overwhelming. Hmm. And the fact that they were so kind and so sweet, like that, that was really wonderful. Uh, I, I, I couldn't have asked for a better first TV job. That's awesome. And one of the things that occurs to me about booking TV and film in New York is that it's a lot fewer casting directors, right? Yeah. You mentioned Marcy Phillips. Like, yeah. she, that's an, a very important person. If you're yeah. in New York, it's like, because L- LA, it's more folks. It's like, you really got to book all those rooms yeah. in a way, right? N- not every role, yeah. but you have to book the room because it's yeah. a smaller pool of folks who are hiring people, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it looks like... Uh, you started to book some television pilots. My guess would be that you booked the first ones out of New York. Is yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Would that be right? The very first, uh, I had a couple I tested for when I was in New York. The very hmm. first pilot I've ever booked was for Comedy Central. It was called Black Jack. It was a David Gordon Green pilot. Wow. And that's what I also do love about New York versus LA is when you book in new york depending on who you work with obviously they don't do as much of the especially if it's a new york show they don't do a lot of like the crazy testing that la does Mm -hmm. i remember like one of my first uh wb tests it was for i hate my teenage daughter do you remember that sitcom i don't yes very vaguely yeah I think that there's something about being in New York, like you said, all these casting directors, like you, 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 you get one to fall in love with you. You're great. Mm-hmm. You, you will be on a WB show any day. Like they will put you in for anything, but in LA, it's obviously very different than you're showing up to Paramount and it feels like you're going to get the job because you're already at the studio. Like <laughs> it just, feel, but it, it's really scary. Like doing a studio test in front of all the people doing a network test. And we've kind of, they don't do that anymore. Like they've really stopped doing the, you have to read for 20 people and they're just not going to laugh. It's like, but Mm -hmm. I remember like Mm -hmm. in New York, the first pilot I did was Blackjack for Comedy Central. And I don't know if it's because it was David Gordon Green or if it was because it was a New York show, but I never had to test for that. He just was like, her, she's the one. And then it went and I thought every pilot was going to be like that. And then- (sighs) right. 
and then everything changed when I moved to LA. Yeah. So you, so then eventually, so what was that decision to move back out to the West coast? What were, was it the, in part, was it some advice that you were getting from your reps? Did you start working with new reps around that time? I don't think it was, I think that there were so many opportunities in LA that were just slipping through my fingers because they wanted to hire someone from LA. It's like, you know, in LA, if, 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 if you are right for something like that is maybe it's different in this COVID world where we're all just looking at clips of things. Like Mm -hmm. I could, I could be on Mars right now and somehow book something that shoots in LA tomorrow. You know, like no one knows. No one knows. Yeah. No one knows. But in New York, just the cost of of sending someone out there, they don't want to do it, but it's so easy. And there's something about being in a room that, that people love, like they feel like they found you, you know, like, yeah, Yeah. I, I think that's an actual like technique. Like people love to be the ones that feel like they found you. Like you didn't do the work. They're like, I caught her. <laughs> but so I felt like LA just didn't want to give New York a chance. And, um, but there's something about uh, watching all of these opportunities go away that that felt like I, I need to try LA. And also I, I think I had to really like uh, understand that maybe I wasn't going to have this wonderful uh, theater career that I had wanted if mm. like so it's like and what's crazy is I think theater is getting better and also right when I mm. left New York all of these New York TV shows start like Orange oh, yeah. the New Black sure. uh, uh, anything Gotham. that like Alexa Fogel is cast yes yeah, everything everything like I love watching Atlanta and recognizing mm-hmm. Yeah. All these New York actors. Uh, and I think I think you just do what you think is the best at that time. I think and- they have some of the best writing, too. Like, it seems to me that, like, a lot of the shows that are up and down the uh, East Coast now are the ones that are, like, like, what a Stranger Things is, like, down in yeah. Atlanta now, right? Yeah. And, like, you know, but, and you know, I was just interviewing someone on the Gilded Age. And I think like, it's, like, these, the shows that... Uh, you, you know, and LA's got great shows too. You know, they've got yeah. West, we've got Westworld. I don't know yeah. what else we've got. Period. We've know? got Westworld. Like, that's it. How do you consider yourself like an, a New York, Atlanta, LA like person? Do you think that, or do you feel like you're an LA actor right now, or does it really matter? I don't think it really matters. I, yeah, I, I just want to work. So, like, if you want me to be an Atlanta person, I'll be an Atlanta yeah, person. Sure. I, I'm, yeah. I think I have some, I think it's, I think it's really wonderful to put down your roots though. I think that, mm, yeah, I think I like LA a lot. I got to say I, that I, yeah. I really like it here. I really would love if, if the business, if, you know, if the business were going to continue to be here, I would be just thrilled about it. Yeah. You know, the idea of going back to New York sounds super fun. I want to know what you think about like, are you going to try to make your way back to doing New York theater? I would love to do that. It's interesting. I was just talking to my agent last week and there's this indie film and a decently budget indie, decently budgeted Indian indie. Oh my God, I can't <laughs> speak. Don't edit this out. I want the rawness. 
but a well it has money this indie film has money okay yeah, yeah. it'll probably All be right. released by focus features okay. but like i love when they say independent because it just means we don't want to pay the actor it's like yeah but that they, is really funny but they were just asking about my availability and i was like oh, okay like and I was like what do you mean my availability like why are you sending me for interest like I that doesn't mean anything I'm not getting offers like you're gonna make me read this at some point for someone mm -hmm. but they were genuinely interested and they're like would she be willing to be a local hire mm -hmm. and I, I was like yeah. what does that mean because I've also been up for a different independent film at a different time and that time it meant more like, oh, we will fly her out. We'll we'll put her up. We just we just don't want to make her like we don't want to pay her for the 14 day quarantine of COVID. Like, that's it. I was oh, like, okay, wow. Well, it's, right. Yeah. Like, OK, OK, I get that. But like, what does this mean? And I think they wanted to just be like, just total local. And there was a moment where I saw that and went started calculating in my brain and I went, oh man it's really expensive to like be a local hire in new york i don't think it's that expensive yeah. to be a local hire in la like i think you can mm. be in new york mm -hmm. someone ask you to come to la and shoot i think you could do that but i mm. don't think it's that easy the other way around because the, right. the only thing i thought about was are they gonna pick me up or am i gonna have to like show up to like that spot where the shuttle comes in at like 4.30 a.m. Like, I don't want that, but they're right. gonna be like, but she's a local, like we shouldn't have to drive her. I was like, I don't wanna take the subway. Like there were so many things reeling in my brain hmm. going like, it's actually hard to be a New York actor unless you're a star. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, I was doing all of it going, well, can they pay for my flight? I, I, I think, I think it's it's strange the the New York culture of of working. It is. I've done at least one independent film, which was a very big. It was like what you're talking about. It was um, wasn't focused features, but it was like that. And they did. They said, you know, can you be a local hire? And they this was an interesting one because I definitely was going to do it. Right. And I had family that I could stay with in New York, so I had to fly myself. Yeah. stayed there and then I was told I mean the day rate that I was told was um very little money they it just it just so happened that after the fact they decided to pay me more than what they said they were going to pay me I don't know why that happened I just got a check for four times what they said they were going to pay me it was John and Fletcher he he made a call John John <laughs> Fletcher made a call <laughs> I was like, you know who you're dealing with? That's my friend Claude and you must no, pay him well. No. Yeah. What a knight in shining armor. Um, but uh, but yeah, I know. I think there are, I remember hearing early on from somebody, was, uh, a workshop director at Williamstown, uh, big and also an amazing uh, audition coach, Ted Sluberski. I'm going to throw Ted's name out there, but he was just, he, I remember t him telling a bunch of us 20 somethings, he was like, there is some work that's beneath you. Yeah. Which to hear is like a 20 something person who hasn't had a single credit in your life. You're thinking in terms of like, well, I'll just do anything. And yeah. I do think there's some, there's value in being open and saying yes, um, rather than judging everything a little, because you could miss some cool things by judging right. too quickly. But I, on the flip side of that coin, I do think it's, there's value in also saying like, no, I, the, the, this is beneath me. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, you, you've got to say no. I, I think, uh, cause like you, got, you said, like that's such a perfect distillation of with that kind of a thing, that kind of a project is, Oh, what they really mean is independent film, but what they really mean is we just don't want to pay the actors. Yeah. Well, they definitely didn't want to pay me. The other two attached was like, I know these bitches are in LA and <laughs> I know you're, I know you're flying them out. I know you're These bitches are not coming in local. And I was like, absolutely not. I think it, it's always going to be like, how badly do you want to do something, you know? And it, it, there's this weird balance of how badly do you want this job and mm-hmm, right. how badly do you care about uh, how much you're worth? There's a weird balance. They're not, it's not a 50, 50 measure, you know, like you can, I've had to say plenty. Uh, I've had to say plenty. I've had to say no plenty of times to jobs that just like wouldn't pay me enough. And it never feels good. Cause I don't think I am a greedy person. I, I think actors get paid very well, but quotes exist and you work really hard and if they want you they will pay you what you're worth it's just the reality of it and and it's like that's what i mean by these like independent films like i can ask for some caveats but you know i don't want to ever feel like my time has been free Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's what it starts turning into for anybody who doesn't know you know uh you know, you're absolutely right, G. It's like actors get paid very well. However, that scenario that you're talking about where you're flying yourself to New York and putting yourself up, like you, maybe you don't make any money. That's the point. Yeah. Like maybe you're yeah. not making money doing yeah. it or yeah. you're, or you're going into debt to do it. And I had, um, another, uh, guest on the show, uh, was talking about going, having to fly themselves to Sundance for the premiere of their independent film and that it was going to end up costing them more. They, you know, it cost them out of pocket more to do that than to being in the movie in the first place, just yes. going to the film festival. And they yes. were a lead in the, in the film. So, yeah. you know, actors do get paid very well. Yes. We get paid to do something that we, is such a fun job, but we got to make, we do have we to gotta make, make some money. money. Yeah. yeah. I, I, to, it is yeah. a job. 100%. I did the math and I said, it sounds like if I do this independent film, I will maybe make a month's worth of rent in New York if I even get lucky. You know, I was just like, there's, how am I going to make it? But I, yeah, actors have to get paid and there's so much money in this industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's also crazy. It's like, we're so willing to say yes, that sometimes you have to go, why do you, why do you feel like you have to say no? And, and there are those moments where I felt like, oh, I'll just say yes, because fill in the blank. And they don't always like wildly surprise me. I think there's something about you. I think your instincts are usually right. You know, Mm -hmm. like I've taken jobs that I felt, I don't want to say beneath you, but I think you just know that you would have, you wished you waited a little bit longer because then you would have been more available for something that's, that's better suited for you. Mm -hmm. And then you get, you just have to spend a lot of time or energy, you know, even the work you put into it, um, not feeling as happy as you'd like to be. And, and that's just not the best situation for anyone. Completely. And I think it can show then in the work sometimes, you know, or, yeah. or the thing is like the project, there's, it's just, there's an element of the project where it's like the something is the director is, they're not, the vision isn't as strong or, and, and so therefore then the direction of the scenes isn't great. 
the takes they use are not your favorite. Yeah. And then you're like, I can't use this footage for anything. So what did I do this for? Yeah. Um, so now you've done equal parts comedy shows and TV procedural yeah. dramas. You know, yeah. you've got you've got very much your, a foot in each uh, side firmly and uh, very impressive. I saw you played G the PA on five episodes. Oh, yeah. Comedy Bang comedy Bang. Bang. How was that role? Was that a bit of a stretch for you? It or? was, well, they were not basing it on <laughs> me at all. They didn't know me. I don't honestly don't know how I got the job. The offer just came in. I think it might've been like some comedy people I knew. I don't know, maybe it was an accident, but it was a happy accident. Uh, but I booked it and they they use all of these young comedians all the time on that show they just like give them their name like they they're <laughs> all just their name uh but it was wild because weird al was the musical host oh, awesome. and it was really like i we parked right next to each other and it was exciting because he had a tesla and that's when teslas were very rare and uh he was the <laughs> nicest person ever and it was oh, such yeah, sure. a fun show uh it's wacky it was crazy we shot in glendale and uh it was it was really really just so much fun Glen so Glen much fun glendale where, where dreams happen the glendale the, there's a portos and dreams there's a portos and dreams Do, were you doing a lot of um like upright citizens brigade that kind of stuff at the time were you doing all the comedy stuff in the school I, this comedy I, schools i i did it in new york i did oh, a yeah, lot yeah. in new york and then i just kind of was like ah this feels like a whole new like the politics of comedy it's oh, like a, a whole nother yeah, yeah. amount of work i'm going to have to put in mm -hmm. if i ever want to be successful uh yeah right. the comedy world specifically is a lot of you got to invest a lot of your heart soul money money very little rich then you got to do return. all the levels and you got to please the right people yeah it's that i mean i've heard that criticism it's like the scientology criticism it's like yes. it just feels like a religion you know yes yes uh and, and, and then i don't know what happened I, I i i genuinely have no idea how comedy bang bang happened mm -hmm. i think it happened i genuinely think they like it was an accident like they like just <laughs> cast me for one but then they were like oh yeah you're okay. funny and, yeah uh, and, and then they just kept putting me in more which was which was fine it's worse when it's the other way around when we're like <laughs> she's gonna be so good ji young han you gotta know her never mind she, <laughs> never, sucks. she sucks never mind so and then a, a perhaps a possible dream job you booked a great recurring role as jenna kang on zoe's extraordinary yeah, and zoe's playlist, extraordinary playlist which is a musical tv series for it was NBC. so much fun yeah it was i'm gonna i'm gonna hopefully talk to um john clarence stewart uh oh yes on thursday oh he's wonderful and he's he's a star and he's the sweetest person ever this was a show where the main character daydreams in musicals. Is that basically the premise of that one? It's it's not necessarily, I guess daydreaming makes sense. Something happens to her like in the middle of some sort of MRI. I don't know the science behind it. I think they kind of just glided over, but somehow- The, the science behind it. <laughs> this, there's no science, but somehow- <laughs> The magic behind yeah, it. Yeah, she gets to hear people's inner thoughts. Yeah. 
in terms of music. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you had some songs. You got to sing some songs on the show. I sing one. I, yeah. We had another song and then we ended up having to cut it, which was really sad because it was a cute duet, a sad duet with Mary Steenburgen. Oh, uh, I know. We like rehearsed our hearts out. Uh, but the song that I sang was One Call Away by Charlie Puth. Oh, very cool. Yes. And so when you're doing those songs, are you are you you're doing them on the physical set and then you're also doing the VO a- after the fact or how, or how does it work when you're doing music? I haven't ever done a musical thing that was filmed, whether it was a movie uh-huh. or a TV series. How does it how did you all do it? We recorded in the sound booth first. And then they master it. They, they got to get it perfect because they yeah. we need to use the exact audio and we practice, we do a lip sync rehearsal. So you go in, we had a musical director and they watch us to be like, and always the answer is sing along with it. Like just always sing along with it. Oh, so you are, so it's not just a bunch of people just lip syncing in a room quietly. It's just the no. sound of lips yes. kind of mashing together. Yeah. And- some people, so uh, yeah, like Alex Newell, Alex always wanted to sing live because there's Alex has the voice of God. So <laughs> Alex wants to sing, you let Alex sing. But uh, but yeah, you practice it. And it's also because we're dancing. And so they can't have muddy vocals, like, oh, right. like, yeah. like laborious breathing. So you just, I, I remember thinking like, I'm just going to sing it the day of, like, I got this, but like, we're not dancing the way you do on Broadway. Like we're specifically dancing for screen that needs to look cooler because you can't like hide anything. And, (laughs) and yeah, so we do a lip sync rehearsal and then the day of they just play the music and you just keep doing it over and over and over. Did you have to, when did you have to sing in the audition process for that one? I, they didn't ask me to, like, I just put a tape, I just threw a tape together and they didn't ask me to sing, but I did because I assumed she had to sing or I want to be very clear that if I get the job, I want to sing. Yeah. Like, Cause then they had so, they have so many people on it. If I didn't sing, then everyone in the world would just think I can't sing or go, oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> great actress, great storyline, but don't let her. Moves well, but yeah. yeah. And then I sang and then I did like a Zoom call that this was right in peak pandemic, like mm. like everything was shut down. And I, I met Austin, who is the creator mm. of the show, and he had me sing. I guess I could say it because it never made it. He had me sing If I Could Turn Back Time, you know, oh my share. God, that's a big song. But it was great for me. I was like, great. It's an alto. Perfect. Okay. Like, great. Yeah. And. Uh, and he, yeah, he had me do it. And that's like them saying, like, uh, sing Climb Every Mountain. It's like a, that's a, yeah, heavy, that's a big song. That's a heavy a song. Big yeah. Song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was kind of it. And, and then I got it. And nice. There we go. Hell yeah. Well, so nowadays you're busier than ever. You're working on t- t- two TV shows. Congratulations on yes, that. Thank you. One of them is the prestige drama Perry Mason for HBO. Um, on Perry Mason, you play Marion Kang. Yes. Uh, Marion is described as fresh out of secretarial school and is the new hire in the office. In addition to her meticulous organizational talents, Marion has a few tricks up her sleeve that Perry and Della constant that keeps them on their feet. What does that mean? Can you talk about this at all? Or? I know. I'm like, 
What does that mean? Uh, you tricks up her sleeve. I know. I'm trying to. Because this has not aired yet, right? This has not aired yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to say it in a way that people, that I won't get in trouble. Yeah, I don't, don't get know. in trouble. Uh, so she's a smart cookie. Uh, okay. And, uh, oh, she, you know, she speaks French. Oh, that's and great. She, oh, yeah, nice. she speaks a couple languages. Cool. And so uh, that helps a little bit in the show. Oh, so that's show. a surprise. That's, that's yeah, a surprise. Okay, got it. I mean, come on. Like, they don't know what to do. They're just like, you're going to already be surprised seeing this Korean girl in the 1930s. Like, you're, where did she come from? There was a lot of research I had to put into finding, like, you know, just someone like, to look at for, yeah. for basis. That's even things like yeah. hair, like like where did she live? Like I wanted to create mm. a little bit of a background story. Did uh, you find? Just, did you what? Did, could you talk a little bit about what did you find on that? Oh, uh, so I guess I could say she she speaks languages only because I've already said it. And uh, but one thing I found was there's something that they used to call old Koreatown. It's not the Koreatown we wow. know and love. And it's not even real. It wasn't a real like historical site necessarily. It was just kind of, you know, the last until the Korean war, the last like big boom of immigrants was kind of 1900, right. 1910, kind of when all that happened. And specifically old Koreatown is kind of closer towards like the Adams Jefferson area of okay. Los Angeles. And it was interesting. I don't know why they called it old Koreatown necessarily, but I think it was just kind of like one pocket of Los Angeles that uh, was the only area that immigrants could stay at. Like no one would rent to uh, certain Yiddish communities, to Korean communities, to Hispanic communities mm. and black communities, uh, which was kind of fun because not fun, but <laughs> I mean, I once I learned about that, it helped me also realize like it, it kind of justified why my character knew a bunch of languages because she was around hmm. all these immigrant communities. It, it's not like I needed to justify it, but I was like, well, a lot of the people at that time they they weren't the asian people weren't necessarily wealthy they were all working class uh you know immigrants so where she shouldn't have like rosetta stone she didn't have duolingo like where does she know all these languages so mm -hmm. i had to be a little yeah. bit creative but that kind of history helped a lot to like Put that together do you have, have you done a number of period pieces is this maybe one of the first that you've done this is definitely the first one i've ever done uh i can't think i i mean i've you know done like shakespeare as a youth but uh no <laughs> yeah i played queen agravain in a production of once upon a mattress if you consider that sure period. absolutely yeah i'm just wondering it's like if your if your heritage includes identity that is you know it's like how much work the actor then ends up having to do in order to you know is this did you ha end up having discussions with the writing team about the, some of the stuff that you're talking about yeah uh that was something we we talked about and it kind of does take play in terms of the storyline of the show in terms of like information a young 
Asian girl would know versus information a white man like Perry Mason would know? Like what mm -hmm. kind of news yeah. is he reading? How does news affect someone like me versus someone like mm -hmm. Perry? Um, we have talked about it and we did we did discuss that. We even we even as something as simple as like our wardrobe, a lot of the women at that time wore pantyhose that had like lining in the back. And I hated it. I, like at first it was just like a actress being like, oh, can you imagine my OCD as I'm trying to line this up my leg? Like it was just so infuriating. But some, something as simple as like talking to them and being like, actually, this is an expensive hose. Like this, these mm. pantyhose are really expensive. And a lot of secretaries at that time who didn't have a lot of money they would just like draw, draw line. Like yes, you see right. that. Yeah. And I would say right. that and they were like, okay, well, we never see your legs. So when it comes up, <laughs> when it comes up, we'll say you drew it. <laughs> but, <they> just, <laughs> but like we had to have those discussions or say certain things like she wouldn't have this. She would only have one hat. She would only have one jacket because she just doesn't have a lot of money. She doesn't come from a lot of money. Uh, we did a lot of talking about that uh yeah 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 um so then and then you're also appearing in an upcoming hulu comedy series called unprisoned starring carrie washington and delroy lindo my yes. gosh very it's exciting wonderful. and the production company for this series is the onyx collective which is yes. an exciting disney company that seeks to create content for creators of color for underrepresented audiences um and this is a half hour comedy which is described as revolving around a messy but perfectionist relationship therapist and a single mom played by carrie washington whose life is turned right side up when her dad delroy lindo gets out of prison and moves in with her and her teenage son um can is there anything you can share about this series without yes I, I could tell you, I definitely had to clear this with my agent. He said, yeah, you could talk about it. I was like, okay, well, well, well. Uh, so yeah, uh, the show is, is based off of Tracy McMillan. It's her actual life, but you know, uh, fictionalized mm -hmm. and, and Carrie Washington. And I play Carrie's sister. I play her. It, we were both in the foster care system. And so yeah, yeah we both, uh, I'm, I am based off of Tracy's actual sister in her real life. And um, wow. so, yeah, it's wild. I never thought in my life I would get to say the words. I, I'm playing Carrie Washington's sister. <laughs> what a beautiful part of the story, though. Did you yeah. because and then you're also you're basing your performance off of a real person? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, Tracy has been really wonderful about putting very big truths of her life into the show but letting it live on its own and i think mm. that's uh there's something really freeing about that uh, she's never like watched us go oh it makes me feel like my sister like i think she there's probably something she loves about us breathing our own like life and air into it mm. uh and because I think that's the way she wants it. There's something really wonderful about stories that come from such a personal place. But the yeah. more you breathe in um, other specificities, it becomes like, oh, yeah, family, relationships, sisterhood. It's universal. Like, it really is. And so mm, she's yeah. never been like, play it like my sister. But we have, like, discussed 
you know, what are the intricacies of something complicated as two girls who were foster children mm -hmm. yeah. growing up together? Um, and, you know, this isn't a spoiler, but we grew up together, but she ended up kind of going back to her father. So, you know, we also got split up again. But hmm. I, I, I I think it, it it's interesting. She's never, ever made me feel married to it. But we've had conversations about, you know, why is this character so so free spirited versus like versus like Carrie, who's struggling more with um, with just like the difficult parts of what what a foster kid is going through. And and would that be sort of reconnecting with a birth parent? Then is it that part? Is that part of the story there with the Delroy Lindo character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Got it. so okay, Delroy yeah. plays Carrie's. Yeah birth parents so yes right. so that's that's all its own and but also i think that tracy she does this so beautifully to talk about very difficult subjects like mm. foster children and you know reconnecting with a father that's been in jail your whole life and stuff all of these are heavy things but everything but it's a is, but it is a it's comedy. a comedy it's yeah. very light and and i think that's and i think she she's never asked me to do anything to be like i need you to make it more like my family i think she i think bringing a freshness to it keeps it uh, a fresh take on it i i should say um keeps it fresh keeps it light mm -hmm. helps us helps us be uh light and and funny about it that sounds wonderful. When is, do you have, do you know when that is going to debut? I have no idea. <laughs> we just You're finished. in the middle. Oh, you just finished. We just finished. I, I completed Perry Mason and Unprisoned in the same week. I know. Cause we were talking at the time when we were emailing a little back and forth. Yeah. You were in the, in the thick of it. And are you then, does that mean that you're, you have a little bit of time now you're going to get a little break? Are you oh, going to yeah, take a little Yeah. I'm taking a little bit of a break. Yeah. Nice. I've been working Paramis and we shot that for a long time, a long, long time. We really? started shooting that in December. And then I hopped on oh God, to, yeah. I know we had, I mean, COVID there, things got, things slowed down. HBO has. Was there a bunch of start, start and stop going on? We had a couple, mm -hmm. we had a couple yeah. little breaks, um, but also like uh, HBO kind of takes their time. Not the way. Yeah. Everyone else like has a. Time yeah, limit, historically it, they do. Yeah. yeah like they I remember when the time. Sopranos like two years would go by and they yeah, put up like, Westworld too, we, which yeah, we talked about. It's like that just time. finally came out with it. There was a whole article that was like, Are you watching Westworld and are you confused by everything? Here's what <laughs> happened two years ago. Yeah. In the previous season. Um, well, wonderful. And uh we'll have to stand by and, and wait. This this, of course, this interview will go out in the year uh, 2030. So by this time, course, that show will course. be both shows will be over. But um Finally, where can where can people find you online? You could find me at the J E E S P O T, also known as at the G Spot. Okay. Yes, I had to. I had to. It's so there. Like one of my biggest <laughs> regrets in life is that my email address isn't J E E mail at gmail.com oh, yeah. yeah it's sure. the biggest regret in my life yeah. and yeah. then i i just had to it's so cheeky i remember um, uh so at the g spot on both of your instagram and your twitter as well hmm. 
Yes, do you, are you but, doing TikTok and do you do TikTok stuff? You know, or? sometimes I try and then sometimes I'm too <laughs> old for it. I, I just, <laughs> I the same way. no one well, wants it's not me that, to do it. The truth is it's for people of all ages, but it's like, but I think like if you're busy, which I'm not that busy, I should yes. be doing a TikTok, but if you're busy, it's like, maybe not necessary. I think that um, it was funny because I remember Donald Glover talked once about handles uh-huh. And his, he was going by Don, he said this on Conan, I think. He was going by Don Glover and then pretty quickly realized that it just looked like Don Glover. <laughs> oh, that is classic. Um, well, gee, this has been lovely. Um, so this lovely. Is, this is really nice to connect with you. Thank you so much for doing it. Um, of course, of course. I had a blast. It's always fun to chat with someone who has a deep love and reverence for the musical theater. And uh, I'm excited for all your upcoming projects. Congratulations again. Thank you so much. And I wish you continued success and safety and good health. Thanks, G. Thank you so much. If you listened all the way to the end of this episode, thank you. Hey, since you stuck around with us, why not go ahead and give us a subscribe? Or perhaps a sweet, sweet five-star rating. A nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality conversation in the future. You can check out our Patreon and our swag for more ways to support the pod. You can find both in our Instagram handle at things are going great for me. Stay tuned because we've got five more incredible episodes premiering every Wednesday, including interviews with Claiborne Elder, Beth Reisgraf, Susie Abramite, Gil McKinney, Sufi Bradshaw, Remy Dunn, and Michael Grant Terry, to name more than a few. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our graphics editors are Sierra Hauser and Leon Simone. All right, for you truly thorough listeners, here's a secret. It's raining today in L.A., and it looks like it's going to rain tomorrow. I love it when it rains in L.A. I think because I don't feel bad staying inside. When the sun is shining and it's always shining in L.A., you get this kind of anxiety about being a homebody. So I'm enjoying these rainy days. I might make myself a cup of tea, turn on last week's episode of 60 Minutes, and live my best life. See you next time.